Welcome to episode 19 of the Dimensional Cascade podcast. Welcoming back Tom. Hello. Finally. Yeah. Um, who disappeared into workland somewhere. Yeah. And I have, of course, with me our resident paint guru, Ricky. Hello. And we're joined from afar for the very first time. Ooh, this is, uh, we're popping our remote uh, podcasting cherry um, with uh, John Kersey, who is joining us from the very distant land of, of Portland. Um, John, welcome. Thank where you where is this Portland? Portland. It's somewhere stuck in the 90s, according to the TV show. <laughs> is it really as bad as that Portlandia TV show? I mean, that, that show is pretty awful, but... How accurate is it? I think that the Portlandia show is a caricature of Portland, but to be quite honest, it's pretty on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think Portland has a higher content of smelly hippies and, uh, you know, your standard beatnik. Okay. But we're not as bad as having the, uh, you know, your, your crazy amount of like, you know, homeless and, you know, stabby, stabby people. So it's good. Okay. So it makes up for it. I'd rather have hippies than stabby people, so yeah. It's true. I think I think that sounds like a fair trade. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I hate long-haired hippies. Well, the downside is you get a higher, con- you get a higher uh, ratio of hipsters. Mm. So yeah. It's a give yeah. and take. It's the West Coast. I mean, it's nothing but hipsters from top to tail. Okay, so on that shiny happy note, John is here to talk to us um, about uh, the tournament that he's running, and uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, so it's been about a month since we podcast, um, and before that it was a month and we've gone from being a fortnightly podcast to being a monthly podcast. I, I partially blame Tom just because he's kind of responsible for everything. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to accept responsibility. I partially blame his fellow countrymen in Nottingham for, um, messing with our hobby mm. and, uh, you know, killing the world. Um, but, um, I think it's just the 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 community at large is waiting with bated breath for the ninth bomb to drop, and so everybody's kind of in a weird funk. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about that a bit later. We're going to talk about Warhammer funk. That's good we because are. mine is at old, old time funky levels. <laughs> Matt's funk. Old time levels the smell of funk. Is. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, we do have a pit lined up. And uh, we will get into that soon. We're going to change the format just a little. Um, we're going to do the tournament zone first. Um, but our contenders for the pit later today, we're going back to our, our, I don't think these guys are quite featherweight category, but maybe like bantamweight or, or welterweight. I don't know. what. I'm not sure about the weight categories. Does that mean they're just going to dance around and hug each other for <laughs> 45 minutes? You know, I, I think the lightweight categories in boxing are much more likely to actually punch each other. Because I was alluding particularly to the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. Yes. Which yeah, it was apparently very bad. Quite farcical. Yeah, especially because you had to pay $100 for it, mm-hmm. which is pretty mm-hmm. ridiculous. Anyway, so um, our I don't know which one's Pacquiao, which one's Mayweather, <laughs> but we've got uh, Chakax, the Eternity Warden, coming back to see if he can do a little bit better against someone that doesn't have always strikes first. Um, however, he is facing off against Dreyka, who has hatred, which really, I guess, doesn't <laughs> really, um, right. really give him too much of an, uh, an advantage. But they're both hero-level characters. He's not trying to take out uh, Belagar, who uh, knocked his blocks off him. last time. Yeah, exactly. whack a mold him. <laughs> um, so we'll go through their rules and stuff in the pit. Um, in the tournament zone, like I said, we're going to talk with John about his tournament. We've also got... 
Um, a little bit of reports about Sparkle Party six, seven, six. It was six, right? Six, yeah. six. Yeah, uh, getting ahead of myself. Uh, the Regiment of Renown, and uh, also Victory or Death up in um, North Vancouver that the Chumphammer blokes run. So we got quite a few tournaments to to cover off, and um, later on in the uh, in the Art of War and in the Hobby Horse um, for both sections, we're going to be focusing on scenery and terrain. So um, how to build it some um, on, in the hobby section and how to use it on the battlefield to your advantage uh, in the art of war. All right. So um, with very little further ado, let's roll into the tournament zone. Where does, where does Warhammer Funk fit into that whole thing? Or does it just permeate it, every category? It's kind of going to be the news and rumors section mm. because there's not actually any news and the rumors are all funk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I might have to just record a whole new like intro for Warhammer Funk because <laughs> got like you know this Warhammer Funk uh, kind of mm-hmm. backbeat now in my head. Yeah. It's like yeah, I'm gonna have to do something, something there. very bluesy, yeah, something funky. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I have no idea if I'm gonna edit that part out or not, but <laughs> with that ramble, let's go into the tournament zone. The tournament zone. Let's start with the uh, with the OFCC. So OFCC, uh, if I'm remembering rightly, stands for the Ordo Fanaticus Club Challenge, um, and this Correct. is a this is the biggest tournament in the Northwest region, and uh, I am going to let John talk all about it. Go. All right. All right. Thank you, Aiden. And again, thank you for having me on your show to talk about the event. Um, well, you didn't shut up about it. I'm like... We also appreciate you uh, <laughs> also being a sponsor of the event as well. No um, we're happy to see the Dimensional Cascade making their second appearances on it as well. Yeah. So, OFCC. So, OFCC is the second year we've run a combined event for the Ordofanacus Club Challenge. We've actually been running this event for close to 13 years now and all started back when uh, the Seattle GT scene was really big for Warhammer. And we decided that a group of, a group of our founders for the club decided to go ahead and create an event for hobbyists, primarily because the tournament scene kind of the bad taste in a lot of their mouths, the hyper competitive, you know, a non-friendly list that, that didn't, that didn't espouse the virtues of what they wanted to have in a game. So they created the they created the Order Fanaticus Club Challenge or the OFCC, and it originally started out as being one for fantasy and one for 40k, and it it, it was an event for hobbyists as I said before, where it re, really emphasized painting, the hobby, sportsmanship, and you know playing five games with a bunch of friends over a weekend, and this became very popular and it continued over years and years and years. And as, and as the as the event grew, we began to reach out to other clubs, and we began to form greater relationships. So instead of becoming a Portland and Vancouver, Washington, you know, event, we started bringing our friends from Idaho, from Northern Washington, from Bellevue, and soon we started inviting clubs like WCP, um, you know, like Dan Miner, and then from all of a sudden we started bringing from Vancouver, in BC, yep. So we had a really, it became a really big event where we brought the entire Pacific Northwest into our sandbox to play with each other for a couple of days. It was great. 
And like I said, for about a decade, we had two events. We had the 40K and the Fancy event where we had multiple teams, you know, four or five players playing against other teams of four to five players. And we had like an internal balancing system to where we ensured that we didn't have uber powerful lists or, you know, things that would be unfun for our players to play against. And that worked out pretty well for a couple of years. Until last year, um, we decided to go ahead and combine the events into one big four-day event, which we just called the OFCC, in which we had 40K and Fantasy operating at the same time in the same house. Oh, and so that, that was, was very the, successful last That was year. the first time you'd done that? Because that was the first one that we went to. Uh, myself, Ricky, and Tom went down and uh, were joined by uh, Ronnie Cox from, from Olympia um, to form mm-hmm. a team. Um, so, so that wasn't normal. Normally... There was 40k on a separate day in a separate venue uh, from the war from the fantasy. Correct. We would have the fantasy event in June, and the 40k event in August. Okay. Um, but instead, we we decided to go ahead and combine the events to combine the club, and you know bring both the 40k and fantasy groups together because we're all one big organization of gamers. Why not have us all be in under the same house? Also, it's kind of cool walking into an event and seeing 300 players all playing together at the same time. Yeah, for sure. And so last year we had it at the, uh, at the Doubletree in Portland. And as it was our first combined event, you know, mistakes were made. We learned that the venue we had was big, but air conditioning was a problem, <laughs> as well as noise. Having the max line being right next to our events. Uh, for everybody to hear so this year uh, we've moved it across the river to vancouver washington um, we're actually having the event on july um, july 16th to july 19th and it'll be at the hilton in vancouver washington and it will be really a three-day event as opposed to a four-day event because last year we had on thursday friday saturday and sunday this year we're having it just on friday saturday and sunday because we didn't have a lot of people coming on Thursday. So we decided to go ahead and have Thursday just be a setup day. And then also we learned that it's easier to have people staying in one centralized location as opposed to have them split out between multiple hotels. So this year's OFCC will be in a larger venue with air conditioning and a lot more room and space and a higher ceiling for everybody to actually operate under. So it should be a lot better and just a better feel altogether. Cool. That, that, uh, that's exciting. So um, talk a little bit about the uh, format of the, of the two fantasy events that are running. Sure, sure. So last year was the first time we'd actually really had an open competitive event at OFCC. Uh, and we had for both 40K and fantasy. And we had those on Friday as a one-day event. Um, this year, we decided to go ahead and make another change I know people are like, what's up with all the change? Um, but we decided to go ahead and have another change to the event where we have the opens run simultaneously with the uh, team event. Mm. So now we have two two-day events going on at the same time for each system. And those are the opens. So we had the 40K open and the Fancy open running at the same time on Saturday and Sunday as opposed to being on Friday. 
So last time people yeah, were able to uh, compete allows in them. both the ton and both the open and the team tournament. Whereas yeah, this time they I had to yeah. kind of choose. Yeah, well, it was it was three games on the Friday in the Open, followed by three games on the Saturday and two mm. games on the Sunday. So it was a lot of Warhammer. It's a real endurance event. It was fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of good Yeah, and good some time. people liked that. Other people were like, oh, God, you know, yeah. 10 games of Warhammer in a week is just too much. Yeah. And we're going, how are you playing 10 games? We only offered eight. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... So this year, the um, Open for the 40K is going to be using the ITC rule set, which is the independent tournament circuit run by Frontline Gaming. And the um, Fancy Open, which is the event that people are more interested in on this podcast, mm, we're um, talk about will 40K be a massive qualifier and will yep. be running on, on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, so it's uh, so, 2,500 points, right? Correct. It'll be a 2,500-point, five-round event, open composition therefore there are no restrictions um all the event uh scenarios and the rule sets are available at autofanaticus.com under the um ofcc uh, topic header there's a section on our forums which has all our rules so you, you'll be able to see it if you go to our website okay the um 40k sorry the fancy open will have as i said before five rounds no restrictions um the fancy team event and the fancy open event um, will both be using the exact same scenarios. Okay. And the reason why I did this is because not all, not all clubs have four guys. Some clubs have five, some have six and not all clubs can bring a team to the event. So I want to be able to have all six members of a club attend the event where four are playing on the team and two are playing in the open and that way they can all play the same scenarios and have that, you know, that talk at lunch. Like, man, how did you do in turn th- in uh, round mm-hmm. two? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, I, you know, I, I don't, that way you had that camaraderie going on and that sense of, you know, sim- symmetry between the two events. Yeah, good idea. So um, hopefully everybody will appreciate the open. It's a, as I said before, it's a no, comp- no composition. So if it's available, you can use it. Um, Insofar as the end time comp, the open composition for the for the open will not allow unbound and will not allow the uh, ever, ever now that's pretty much the only only restriction. So everything else everything else is a go. They can use the ever chosen list, the whole shebang. Okay, so it's it's so full on, full bring on bring filth. bring your toys. Yep, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think that's the nice thing about it is that um, a lot of the uh, I guess if I look at the the top twenty in the um, in the region rankings at the moment, um, a good portion of those folks are going to be playing in the in the team challenge rather than in the um, uh, rather than in the open. So I think it's a great opportunity for people to you know just bring whatever army list they've got, whatever paint well they've got painted, whatever toys they want to put on the table, and have a have a fun tournament with it. I hope so. And it's kind of funny because um, last year we had 22 people, I believe, in the Open on the Friday one-day event. Yep. And of those 22, returning to the OFC, we have, I believe, 16. That's pretty and of those good. 16, all of them played or playing on the team event. Huh. <laughs> That's funny. And so it just, that kind of communicates the love of the team event that we have mm. for, this, for this event. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but we're hoping that the Open still has enough players because we want to have a competitive event. We want to ha- we want to show that no composition doesn't mean that you're going to be a d a d bag. It means that you can play a game, bring all your toys, and still have fun. What if you want to be a d bag? <laughs> I mean, we do have Tom in the room, so keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, you can be a d bag, just don't be one at the table. Oh, okay, okay. Keep that stuff for the bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, um, once so the open the open uh, described, we'll, I'll go ahead and go right over to the premier event for the event, which are the fantasy team and 40k team. So the fantasy and 40k team have been very popular year after year. Um, ninth edition has done a little bit of a whammy on the fantasy group this year. Mm. There's a lot of trepidation and that entire idea of not knowing what's coming, which I think has given a lot of people hobby burnout. Yeah. Uh-huh. But we still have, you know, about 16 teams registered for the event, which is what we want. Um, and the team event this year is going to be is a little bit of a departure from the way we've historically done it. Um, we're still doing four, four players to a team, and we're still using the same scenarios as the open event. But this year, there's no restrictions. Um, we're allowing end times, and we're using Swedish comp. Now you ask, how can you use Swedish comp and, and end times? Because end times Swedish system. Yep. Well, what I've done is I've made a Swedish addendum based on tournament, game, uh, casual gameplay, and um, regional feedback. You guys, were your podcast and your members of your podcast were very instrumental in helping me get a good feel of how to create a composition system that mirrors a Swedish system for the end times group. So I thank you for that. Y'all did a great job. Yeah, we just made up some numbers, pulled them out of the air. That's that's what you do. (laughs) Isn't that what you do for a living, Tom? That is what I do for a living, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We just make stuff up. It's good. But uh, hopefully with using the Swedish addendum and the Swedish composition system, you can use the Swedish system to create a, um, a, a team rating of no less than 50 and the the bands for Swedish that we're using for each individual player is going to be from 8 to 20 so you'll have that, that very large range band of both comp- friendly lists as well as competitive lists without breaking to the hard level mm-hmm. yep um so uh, four guys you can have two guys you know with like a two tens and as long as the other guys in the team combined equal 30 then you have you know a reasonably good team to hit the threshold for the event. Yeah, I'm sorry, I thought you were asking me a question. No, I was going to say that I think the um, the 50 uh, comp makes things very interesting because if you have even just you know one eight on your team, um, then then your other three lists have to combine to a 42, mm-hmm. um, which automatically <clears throat> puts them all 14s. Yeah, are there about you know if you, on the on an average. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, are the um, are the Swedish scores going to be used for uh, anything anything else, or is it purely for the um, army composition? No, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. That's a great question. So, the way it's going to work out is it's so smooth. Like, Thank you. So <laughs> smooth. Oh, well, I'm very glad you asked. He's like a politician. What it's a great all, question. It's let almost me, like he works let for the me government. Not answer it. <laughs> well, I am a bureaucrat. Um, no, so the way we're using the Swedish comp system is this. 
So your team rating will have, like, an, say your team has a 75 rating and the team that you're playing against has a 65 rating. So there's automatically going to be, we're going to pair up the teams that win every round. So the ones that have the highest um, Swedish score will play the teams that have the other highest Swedish score. And then once you do matchups on the captain's level, the captains will receive their four lists and the other captain will have their four lists. So let's say that on your team, Aiden, you've got, you know, an eight, an eight, a 20 and a 20. That would be really hard, but let's say we say, let's say we it's use it for actually example. pretty likely. Meanwhile, of fifteen, fifteen, so you'd probably end up matching the two, the two eights with the two twelves, and the two fifteens with the two twenties. And what would happen is, just like normal Swedish comp, you know, we do one or two range bands removed, and then they get hundred victory points uh, credit. We'll say. In between there, up to five hundred, up to five hundred VPs. Okay. And I can't. So I it, capped it at five hundred. So it's it's an active, um, it's active comp with a cap of five hundred. Okay, so that that makes sense, huh? So so, yeah, that's gonna. I mean, that's gonna really mess with things um, when you consider that it's such a big spread, right? You know, it's a it's a twelve point possible spread in the mm -hmm. in the team lists um and uh and then so so we've got that but now um it's not a 20 nil system that you're using for for scoring right no the open will be using the 20 nil system the uh team event will be using a 10 7 5 and 2 where 10's a win 7's a tie 5's a minor loss and 2's a major loss Okay. Um, because the way that we're doing the grading system for the team event is different than the open. Um, the open is going to be using a 40% battle points, 30% paint, 30% sports. That way, because all OFCC and Oro Fanaticus, I should say, uh, events really emphasize painting and sportsmanship more so than painting, or more so than ba uh, battle. So for the, uh, for the team event, we're doing a strict... 30, 30, 30 on how on 30% painting, 30% sports, 30% battle, and then the remaining 10% will be for achievements. Mm. Achievements. And oh, the, the, that's, um, those are like special things that you have to try and do over the course of the tournament. Like playing the whole Correct. game in the buff. <laughs> Etc. <cetera. laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there, is there a shirtless uh, achievement? No, I was told I can't do that one. Uh, call it the gut star. Sad. The gut star, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, if we all if bring if ogre whole, armies. If your whole team plays with your bellies out, then that's the gut star. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the way we were doing the scoring is um, both the 40 team and, team and the fantasy team are de-emphasizing battle points and emphasizing achievements, painting, sportsmanship, to be all equitable across the entire event. Yeah, right. That I way, like that. in case you have a team that comes in and just smashes face for five rounds, yeah, good job. You beat up on a bunch of hobbyists. We're happy. To, we're happy. We're proud of you. But, you know, if you come in and you smash face and your armies look amazing and you guys are amazing players, well, now you're, now you're talking our game. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of did that last year and came second in our first tournament. That 
because we're we're all that. Well, actually, we relied on the fact that Ricky painted most of the armies. <laughs> but... yeah, at least at least fifty percent of the models there. Yeah, yeah. and um, probably more. Probably more. And yeah. he's painting right now. And then actually, we relied you're... on my awesome sportsmanship. <laughs> That's right. And um, I, I, I drove us there. That was, that's about my, my <laughs> only, only yeah, achievement. You, you were kind of, you're kind of a dead weight. The we dead missed weight. first because of you. <laughs> and um, one thing that's new this year for Fancy is um, we're actually doing achievements for the, the team event. And uh, achievements will affect the entire team score. So um, we have things like Tales of Heroism, where one of the achievements is the Harvester of Sorrow which means that if every player on the team loses their game in the same event round, they get one achievement point <laughs> versus, you know, like the eternal champions where if every player on the team wins their game in the, in the, in the, in the event round, they'll get a point. Um, there's one that I like, which I doubt we'll see much of, but if we do, that'll be kind of cool. Um, that's one that's the against all odds achievement where you have a team with a combined Swedish comp score of 72 or higher that earns the Eternal Champions achievement, which means that they all win their game um, against a team that has a combined Swedish comp score lower by at least 10. So if you have a team with a 75 rating and they all beat a team with a 65 rating and all five of them, all four of them win their game, then they get 10 achievement points mm. for, uh, for, their, for the event. So you'll have a bunch of David and Goliaths going on. Nice. Um, we also have things like artistic achievements. Um, where we have like the, the uh, Tale of Four Painters, where you have the team has all their armies displayed in a cohesive theme display board. So instead of having everybody bring their display board and have their own, you know, this is my army, this is my army, the teams come as one big display and their entire army's display is one cohesive image. That's, yep. that's worth like three achievement points out of ten. Mm. Um, we were planning on that this is, year. We were, we were planning on it. Um, and then Ricky had to go and, and have a relative get married. Well, uh, it's a, not a relative, but a very close friend. Yeah, I'm very very disappointed in her mm. for not asking you if you were going to a tournament that weekend. <laughs> I mean, yeah. does she even know you at all? Nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Well, I also haven't painted anything in about two months. The nerve so some I people, wouldn't... you know. Jeez. I know, right? She was. Um, there is one uh, achievement that I'm really excited about this year. I'm hoping that I also threw the gauntlet down to the 40k side, and that is for the honor of clan achievements. Um, there's one called Rally to the Standard, and that is where every team will bring their own battle standard, like actual flag, to the event displaying their club heraldry. And I'll have them parade that down the uh, center of the aisle on Saturday. Ooh, that's pretty cool. So. It'll be a lot, it'll be pretty cool seeing a bunch of nerds carrying a bunch of flags down a hallway. I expect hallway. to see People Matt be Beasley's like, what pants. The going on? <laughs> some kind of we'll we'll cut that. Matt Beasley's pants were the topic of much debate in the last uh, in the last podcast. Really? Yeah. Oh, I I missed oh, all of that. That's because you don't listen to the podcast. You're you're. Why would I listen to the podcast? It's a bunch of nerds talking about Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that was good. Poor Matt. Yeah, Poor Matt. I remember sitting in uh, chat watching you guys talk when uh, the entire Matt pants thing debacle went down. Yeah, yeah. You I should make say, sure his pants I go was missing. Very hard on a regular basis. You, you know, stole his like, pants during the podcast. No, Riley stole his pants at the last uh, tournament. Ah, and forgot that he stole his pants. 
and was trolling him that he had stolen his pants, even though he he truly believed that he had not stolen his pants, but, <laughs> but he, he had. actually had. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was there was some drinking the, involved. The okay. Yeah. Okay. Just a little little so bit. Here's, mm-hmm. a, here's the beauty. So it wasn't just like you know normal internet trolling where you make a post and then you wait for for a little bit and you make another post. This was real time trolling. <laughs> where Matt would post something in the chat. <laughs> Riley would instantly post something else, whether it was a GIF or like you know this random JPEG of like some guy going, "Hey, loser." I mean. <laughs> It was hilarious because it went on for like half an hour yeah. where Riley would be like, what are you talking about? And Matt would be like, where are my pants, dude? <laughs> hey, guys. Let's all get along, guys. It's not funny anymore, guys. It was hilarious. I, I, I died. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay. So, meanwhile, back at the OFCC. This is how you guys in the private sector spend your day, hey? Oh, he's, he's public sector right there. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so um, after five games, um, we will then be able to just determine who, who the winner is by looking at the battle points, the painting points, the sportsmanship points, and the achievement points for every all the teams. And then we'll have the event champions fight. And the fancy side. I thought we'll winners don't matter at OFCC. Isn't that the whole gig? Oh no, winning matters. <laughs> it's just winning well. Mm. So, so John, winning in the right way, winning is, with style. Mm. Is there going to be um, an OFCC grand champion team, like you know, between 40k and fantasy? So the one that got the most points out of both of them. Whoa. You know, I like who your head is. I, I Unfortunately, just... this year, no. Oh, that's too bad. It's probably not a compatible scoring system, is it? Actually, um, this year, so the way that we have been doing the events historically is that we have elections in our Senate. As you know, Ordo Fanaticus is a, you know, a volunteer community, and we have a Senate that you know, kind of runs the, runs the event and the, and, the, and the community as a whole. So we will vote and elect a campaign czar who will be the one who will then elect hogs for each event. A hog is a head of gaming. So that person determines the composition, the rule set and everything for the event for OFCC. So last year we had Joel and Anson working on the fancy and 40 K side. Um, this year I'm doing the fancy hog, for both the event, the open and the, and the team event. And Joel's doing the open and the team event for 40 K. So I'm hoping that moving forward, we can have a consistent method of having the same rule set year after year after year. So we can move to a universal rule set moving forward. So Fancy and 40K have the exact same scoring. Yeah. Because that way we can then do a a real true team challenge between the two events. Mm -hmm. That'd be pretty, especially if everybody, if both sides of the teams brought demons Mm. and you could have like a combined eight, person display board i mean how cool would that oh, be that would be pretty good anyway but you could have the top that would be 40k cool. team and the top fantasy team getting into a drink off with each other to become the overall champions oh wow. man if, if you believe half of the ninth rumors they'll be able to fight against each other yeah then. that's fair <laughs> that's fair anyway we're a good old-fashioned game of peace spot <laughs> <laughs> oh dear why that's, not <laughs> okay Cool. So, um, remind us again of the of the dates for the OFCC. 
Absolutely. Um, OFCC this year will be on July 16th to July 19th. Um, the Friday events will be one-day events where we will have X-Wing, uh, a Blood Bowl event, a 40K Fantasy, and a 40K Doubles event. We will also have an Infinity event. These will all be three to four round events as well as a Malifaux event. Um, these will all be three to four rounds and um, all in consisting of Friday. And by the time this podcast airs, I'll have all of the single-day events as well as the team events all put into one section of our website so you can easily access them and figure out what you want to do. Cool. Cool. And I must, I must apologize to our Malifaux group as well because we actually have a two-day Malifaux event going on during the team event as well, which hmm. will be the Malifaux Masters. Oh, cool. All right, so there's yeah, a lot so of wargaming the whole weekend. Oh, absolutely. Our goal is to get as many butts in seats and seats and playing games as possible. Oh. It's going <laughs> to reek in the... Well, no, the air conditioning is going to be much better this time, right? This is, yeah, last time it was a huge event, one big hall, 300, 300 sweaty gamers on, on a hot summer weekend with, with uh, I, I was just glad that most of the fantasy stuff was by the windows, let's just say that. But being by the windows was really funny too, because random people would just walk past and be like, what the hell is going on in there? That's right. <laughs> just staring at you through the window. Yeah, yeah. there's some weird people coming in those doors too. Yeah, it's, it's Portland, man. Yeah, mm -hmm. this year we won't have the meth heads or the prostitutes or the random old people walking and going, oh, what are these? I don't know. It looked like the 40K players were pretty fond of the prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> Typical 40Kers. Oh, burn. Okay. so <laughs> Poland is like a hive city. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, once again, I really appreciate you guys having me on the podcast to talk about OFCC. Yeah, no worries. Um, Thanks for taking the time out to, to come join us. No worries. Um, insofar as it costs the weekend, um, our Friday events will be $25 for a ticket. And then the Saturday and Sunday events, the two day events will be $75 for a ticket. If you have anybody who's coming, um, they'll also want to, um, contact the Hilton OFC code to book a room under our block of rooms for the discount. Cause I believe we got down to $119 a night. Yeah, that's pretty good. Which is a huge mm -hmm. saving. At a Hilton, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Is Think about a... all those high thread count sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm um, hopeful this year. I mean, I know Ninth Edition, like I said, has created a little bit of hobby trepidation for the community as a whole. But I'm hopeful that the rumors that will surface um, at, will prove to be true and will have a rebound in the fantasy community. Because... At the advent of 8th edition, the OFCC for Fantasy had a very low attendance because you had a lot of people who were, you know, like, oh, man, the hobby's ruined, 8th edition sucks, and that, that had a negative effect on our attendance. So I'm hoping that that won't happen for this year's event and we can snap back and have a bunch of players come back and break 100 players again. What if ninth mm. drops before the tournament? If it's dropped like a month before the tournament already, which it could do. Well, I think it's it's going to be eighth no matter what. It's already been con confirmed. That question has been asked multiple yeah, times. <laughs> we'll be using eighth, eighth edition rules. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. right. So as as such a good politician, why don't you do one 
last final hard sell. Like, if I could go to only one tournament all year, why would it be OFCC? Well, I'll tell you why you should only do <laughs> OFCC as your one event a year. You can go play in a tournament anywhere. You can go down to, you, know, you can go to British Columbia. You can go to Las Vegas. You can go to L.A. You can play in a tournament. You can play five games and, you know, go, man, I really kicked a lot of butt. But at OFCC, you're, you have these things working for you. You've got a high level hobbyist. I mean, we bring a serious amount of talent to our, to our show. You know, we have painters who work all year on their armies. And, you know, Ricky's a phenomenal painter. Can you imagine having an entire group full of Rickies that you got to compete against in painting? Sportsmanship. Sounds awful. Notch. <laughs> <laughs> we work. We do our best to top, have, have the best sportsmanship in the Pacific Northwest because we really want to emphasize fair play and, and, and a good time playing the game. We have some of the best generals. We we take the Canadians, the Seattle group, the Portland group, and you combine those all into one big mixing pot. You're going to have some of the best generals in the Pacific Northwest playing against each other. Also, we have the highest concentration of shirtless Canadian wrestling. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> no, I got to say, from my experiences last year, it was all of those things were pretty true, and it was a really great weekend. I, I can summarize how great a weekend it was by describing the game between Peter Davis and our, uh, John, who has joined John Kersey, who has joined us. So this was uh, game three on the Saturday. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Peter was playing, I believe, Lizardman. Me. And uh, John was playing. <laughs> uh, John was playing as Wood Elves. And uh, they got paired up against each other by their captains. And they said, how about we have a 10-10 and keep drinking instead? <laughs> <laughs> and that was how the game was run. <laughs> Uh, um, it was pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> not bad, not bad. Well, not only that, but they went back to the hotel room to drink. So they said they were drinking, but I'm not sure about that. <laughs> it could have been shirtless wrestling for yeah. all we know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, look, John. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Cheers, bro. Uh, we will let get, let you get back to your hipsters and uh, you know their crazies down in Portland. <laughs> Voodoo donuts and whatever <laughs> else you do down. Are there. you gonna swing by Rose City Wrath? Uh, at all this weekend? I will uh, do my best to make an appearance at Rose City Wrath. Uh, it'll all depend on when my my parents have free time for me to do that. Yep, you got to drop the kiddos. Yeah. No worries. All right, man. Well, have a good one. Well, thank you again for having me on the cast. And once again, um, if you are interested in participating in OFCC, um, please go to www.ordofanaticus.com. And you'll find all the event information under our OFCC header. Once again, thank you for having me on the show. All right, John. Thanks, man. What all a right. gentleman. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, John Kersey there, everybody. John Kersey. <laughs> now we need you to sing a song. <laughs> okay. So uh, we got a couple more tournaments to talk about real quick. Um, the first is uh, Sparkle Party Deathmatch 6, which Ricky ran a few weeks back um, in the middle of April. Um. I have to say, and and this is not just because you're my buddy, but that is probably the most fun I've ever had in a tournament. Oh, thanks. Good. good. Was uh, so we talked a little bit about uh, the regiment of renown and uh, the rules for it. 
having 30 dudes that don't give up any victory points that get better um even if they die um coming back in the next game is just an absolute recipe for hilarity so everybody just wanted to throw their regiment into to combat you know there was nobody that was that was doing anything well at least in my five games it was all just like get in there and fight and yeah use them use, use them, them and, use them and fight in challenges and yeah. Yeah. yeah um so what i mean i ended up i think coming fifth overall oh yeah um, i can pull it up i think i think i think i came fifth um mostly slipping slipping yeah i had uh i think i had four ties and a minor win or something like that um and then made up for a bunch with uh scenario points and um uh, um sports and painting um let's see here yeah let me find these uh scores well while, while you're looking i i'm gonna tell everyone how my regiment of renown ended up so you start off um uh, with with 29 dudes um just regular human infantry stats and uh and a hero that has regular human hero stats um and by the end of it um my regiment was um strength four with two attacks they had uh, armor piercing minus two so that meant that they were actually minus three to armor save because of the strength four they were cold-blooded they had a leash bone pennant always strikes first they had awakening of the woods and shield of thorns as a bound spell and they could fight in three extra ranks and had throwing weapons. And they, <laughs> so awesome. I know. And the, and the hero, well, there was, there were strength four throwing weapons as well. Um, the hero was strength five with four attacks. Um, he also had the sword of battle, which gave him an extra attack. So that's five attacks had the wizarding hat. <laughs> so he was level two wizard on stupid. <laughs> and had the armor of sil- armor of silvered steel, so he had the two up armor save, uh, and uh, and w- the champion was carrying the Fosrix folding fortress, and um, um, had the feather faux torque, so um, and I caused fear in beastmen, demons of chaos, dwarfs, <laughs> empire, tomb kings, and warriors, and hatred. I had a hatred of dark elves, um, so that. That was my regiment by the end of it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and that one actually, I think, was fairly middle of the road as far as some of them. I yeah. Know, like, I know Alex has just turned into a killing machine. Yeah. Um, mine was pretty fighty. Fintons ended up really beefy because uh, uh, he ended up uh, losing a lot of combats with it. And so they ended up being unbreakable by the end of the <laughs> by the end of the tournament. Um I can't read all of his handwriting, but I do know that uh, uh, they were unbreakable, and he had uh, obsidian, um, the obsidian blade, I think, sort of, no, sort of bloodshed. There we go. I'm trying to read his, his wrinkly handwriting here. And the armor of destiny on his hero. Um, they had a dispel scroll. They had scaly skin. Uh, every everybody had a blast. It couldn't wait to see what they rolled on the table after after each battle. Yeah, I thought it. I thought it was pretty successful. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I, I think I would probably change um, just one scenario's rewards, and that would be the uh, wood for sheep one, like the the bound. I, I don't think that getting um, Awakening the Wood and Shield of Thorns is quite heroic enough. 
it kind of seemed kind of flat. I don't think people really cast it. Yep. So I need to, I think, uh, I think I'll, I'll probably rework that mission because if we use it again, which I probably will, because I thought it was so much fun. And I think most people that I talked to um, afterwards and even at Victory or Death were still saying it was just incredibly fun. So, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I have the results. So uh, very first place um, was Sol Blair. Um, he was playing his, uh, was it Legion or just Warriors? I think it was a Legion. Um and he took the lead. He had pretty solid paint, as always. Um, he had a really strong um, battle scores. And he got um, four favorite opponent votes. Mm. So he, um, there were three people, two people with, oh, no, one person with a, a perfect score. Yep. In in uh, sports, in sports, and that was uh, Aaron Johnson. But then Soul had um, four votes, and so did who was the other four? Leland, yeah, Leland. So um, so sports actually had a pretty good um, influence on the overall scores. So Soul uh, took it with 180 points total. Um, second place went to Jim from up in Canada. He is he's chop or. Uh, I think he's, I can he's, never figure out the clubs up there. I'm not yeah, sure. Who's I'm not what. sure if he's, he's chopper, if he's, um, um, what's the other one? The, the, the one that, uh, Chris Powell's part of. Yeah. I don't, the uh, hammered heads. Hammered heads. Yeah. I'm not sure you, which we of need, the two we need from. like one of those genealogy trees. Up yeah. There. <laughs> a lookup table. Yeah. Or some kind, yeah. You know? So we can kind of track everybody. He might be a swinger, you know? Yeah. Who, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then third overall was Riley. Um, and then fourth overall was Shane Mitchell, uh, fifth overall, Matt Beasley, and you were sixth overall. I was sixth, okay. Yep. With, <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, you're trying to claim, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> claim extra yeah. points. Yeah, so we, yeah, down, down to sixth. But you were actually, um, no, see, you were right. You were actually tied with Matt Beasley at 147 total points. So you and Matt tied for fifth and sixth place okay. uh, in overall. Okay. Um, I can't remember what the the tiebreaker on that would have been. Um, I think if overall was a tie, it was battle, but could be wrong. So I, I'd have to go back to my rubric and look. Yeah. Um. So let's see. I can go uh, for best general. Uh, we had. I think we had a pretty good um, knockdown drag out on best generals. Um, but before you get into that, I just I'm really glad to see Saul taking home the top top trophy. Yeah, because uh, he has painted multiple armies for Sparkle Party, uh-huh. and he has been to I think like at least five of the six. I think if so not too. all yeah. of six, and uh, has always been in the top, you know, third. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I was just really stoked for him that he he, he got. I think he won the uh, painting contest um, for the regiment. Yeah as well and so it was just like he took home a bunch of trophies yeah, he, he swept it that yeah this time. and i'm really glad for him and the best part was i i don't think he or anybody else expected him <laughs> and so those last two rounds we were he was just hovering right there right there and then that last round he just popped up to the top and was like oh my gosh way to go Saul! that was really cool to see nice um so for best uh general uh shane mitchell uh he was playing was he playing he was playing his dark elves he was playing um mono book dark elves 
and he brought it to this completely open comp event and just smashed face with monobook dark elves yeah so best general when people were playing with grand legion of the ever chosen uh-huh. and whatever else he just had mono dark elves so, I mean, that's still pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah. all you need. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out that's still good enough. Yep, that's yeah. all you need. Um, second, uh, second best general was Matt Beasley, and third was Riley. Um, with there was uh, Jim and Alex tied for fourth and fifth, and Sol was down there at sixth, which is what helped translate it to his overall. Uh, Paint, I believe, went to Amanda this time. Yep. Uh, Amanda showed up with um, a brand new dwarf army that she had lighting effects in the display board. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. I actually got to play with it one game because she had to go to work, so I got to fill in for her, and it was really fun to play with a fully painted dwarf army. It was uh, the dwarves of Asgard, and she had like a rainbow bridge and that they could stand on. It was oh, all kind of Asgardian yeah. theme, uh-huh. and it was spark. It was, it was sparkly. Army. Yeah. So, it was yeah. just fantastic. Yeah, it was really beautiful. She got my vote for best painted. Yeah. So um yeah, so she she took best painted um even though like I don't know. The way they she had the exact same number of points as Jim, but uh the tiebreaker for it uh, I can't I think remember. it was player's choice folks. I think it is player's choice, yeah. yeah. Um and then Soul, so it was Amanda then Jim, then Soul for best painted, and we already covered favorite opponents, and yeah, we don't need to talk about Dimensional Cascades because it was like a three-way tie or something. Like that. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, it was. I thought it was a pretty successful event. Yep. I I really liked the regiments of renown. I liked the way the scenarios work. I feel like they um, reward you for doing them if you feel like it, but you don't lose the tournament if you ignore them yeah um, which i kind of prefer because so often when scenarios become too powerful they often favor armies that are more mobile and so some armies like like mine for example really suffer or like amanda's would have really suffered but well yeah. the thing i really liked is that that um you know usually two or three of the five scenario points mm-hmm. you had to use your regiment of renown to to get them yeah and so that meant everybody was on equal footing right yep. you know? yeah so, because everybody has a regiment yeah and they all start with the same stats right yeah. so um and they all cost the same big zero <laughs> yeah. yeah i thought it was fun i thought i actually liked it better than the sparkle giant i think the sparkle giant was um really close in in feel but i still think that these guys were just more fun in general uh, to i think watch. so too i loved i loved going around at the end of every every game and just like hearing what people were getting like yeah. <laughs> they're like oh it's got this i can't wait for my next game yeah <laughs> yeah so pretty cool stuff all right so uh let's talk about victory or death yeah victory or death um so this is uh, uh dale johnson's tournament he's the chump hammer um co-host up there in um north vancouver um so the first time it was run was last year and uh we went up there the dimensional cascade team i think um there was four of us you and me ricky plus uh anthony and ryan last year yeah i thought there were well, yeah it? i guess it was the four of us with tiffany in the car right yeah yeah and uh i think um we we brought home a bunch of prizes last year and then oh, yeah. 
And, and so this year we went up, um, uh, you and me and Ryan and uh, Matt Beasley this time, um, Bruce, who's um, kind of a, a new local player um, that's joined us from Scotland. And um, the five of us went up and uh, Ryan came first. Yeah. So yet again, the the big sword that you win for winning victory or death came, came home to the states. Came home to the states. Yeah. So the funny part about this is, is that Dale sends them to my house. Um, he mail orders them to to me because it's ridiculous to get them shipped to Canada. Where do they come from? Like just ma- uh, China, no, probably. But but there's a bunch of like um, sword and armor places that that sell all this stuff in the states mm. and so he get he sends them to me um and then you know i bring them up with me or or you know we exchange them at a tournament at some point and so it, it's like the swords just want to keep coming back to america <laughs> um, yeah they do so yeah uh, do you have the results there yeah well yeah i don't have the actual results but he has it posted on the website here so we can go through it so yes now it it's worth noting that victory or death was um pretty much exactly the master's pack from this last year um i think he changed the venue um address and added a half hour to the lunch break other than that the pack (laughs) was exactly the same um which wasn't bad it was fun um i i six games of warhammer six games is hard when you're playing four games that first day even when you're in the same time zone by that by that fourth game you're just just tired um but uh so because it was the master's pack um the over there really wasn't an overall winner there was best general was the best general um and yeah that's all the rankings are based off of best general yeah because there was there was very little in in terms of paint and sports scores to affect the score yeah there wasn't he didn't use the i guess he didn't use the master's sports system yep um so i guess that was removed and there wasn't paint because I think Masters used the three-judge system. Yep. And um, there were no points awarded for that. So, yeah. so there was no version of the Paragon So he didn't have... Up. He did have a Paragon, just but one just first place person. Okay. Okay. So let's start. So when we say the, the person who won it is Ryan, um, he was the best general. Yep. Um, what most people would call the best general was the winner of this tournament, though. Because it's it's not truly a hard hard boys because it's it's hard to say that um, I can't you can't say that victory or death doesn't have hobbyists because I think it's got some of the best hobbyists in the nation right now so well both nations probably um, all right so anyways Ryan Munsell he was first um, with Matt Beasley in second um, so and Chris Powell took third. That was a big upset. I think uh, Chris was undefeated with like twenty O's. Yeah, he he uh, was sitting all the way up to yeah. uh, all the way up to the last round, and then Ryan just punched him in the oh yeah, the Ryan crushed him, him down, sucker punched him nice. on table yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. so I think Ryan was was a good. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was only three three points behind Chris, maybe four mm-hmm. four points behind. I'm not sure. Oh no, so. So it was it was game four. Chris played Beasley and got like a twelve eight against oh, okay. Beasley. All right, and so that that brought him in range for Ryan because um, Ryan's first game he had a, a like an eleven nine or something, and then had three three twenties after that. So so then they they played game one or t- table one game five, 
and Ryan Ryan's playing Lizard Man and um Chris was playing Chaos Dwarfs with a level four on a flying carpet with the lore of death. And so Ryan is uh, and with with uh you know he's got two death shriekers and um Yeah, the two blocks of bowls with two um hero bowls. Yep. Um the Torx. He had the one block of dwarves, the two death shriekers, um, the carpet bagger, no Kadai this time. No. And <clears throat> Uh, a, a hell can did he have a hell cannon no no just a con just two death shriekers yeah the two mm. death shriekers which was the perfect combo for me because he had doom and yep. darkness and the death shriekers so and another did he have another level one on fire uh yeah one level one on fire with a scroll I yeah think it did i think have he a had scroll. a scroll yeah. so he actually he actually unman hammered and took a scroll this time yep and still uh, OBSB, though. <laughs> <laughs> but but um yeah basically from from how ryan was describing it all to me um there were a series of of uh ryan made a series of charges and chris made a bunch of fleas um based on you know uh not being able to handle the old bloods and and whatever else he was basically waiting to to wear him down with shooting before getting into combat um and they all went they both went through and you know said okay well we measure everything out and and they all thought it was all going to be fine. And both of them missed that there was, uh, Ryan had an extra unit until after um, the, uh, Chris had fled with, with, both of, with both of his units. And they were like, oh, hang on, there's an extra unit in there. And he was still in the d declaration of charges phase. And uh, Ryan went, okay, well, they're just going to charge that fleeing unit. And... That was that unit off the board, mm. um, and it all just kind of crumbled from there. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, it was it was kind of a, uh, and I think there were some crazy dice as well. Um, you know, to end up on table one for the twenty o is is never going to just be you know one bad decision. Um, but uh, and um, from what Ryan was telling me, um, Chris did not push forward with his with his carpetbagger and try and you know try and cast purple sun or anything like that he kind of mm. kept him back and kept him protected well with all that presumably there's a lot of skink poison yeah, on the he, table he and some killing blow stuff he likes and, to keep him yeah. near the the to out to up look up out surf yeah yeah shakers. for sure mm. yeah yeah there there's reproductiles on there and definitely a lot of poison yeah that's pretty scary for a, i mean those chaos dwarf wizards come in at 400 plus points so yeah yeah oh, that's fair enough but all right, so then uh, let's see. Uh, best painted um, was really great to see this. Uh, Ryan McKinnon, and he's—I think he's an Islander, right? I'm not sure because there's a there's a bunch of Ryans, and I actually get them confused on paper. Okay, I well, I, I'm I'm not sure, I but I, I think, think you're he, right. I think he is one of the Islanders, so one of the people from um, Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island. Uh, he showed up. With and yeah, let's see. I don't think the picture is going to do it justice, Tom. But um, he showed up with just an amazingly well painted um, Warriors of Chaos army, and I don't think people were really giving it credit. Um, I know I had to kind of tell everybody on our team to go actually look at it because nobody had actually seen it, mm -hmm. they just walked right past it. Um, but the paint is incredible. Uh, the technique is really good. It's super clean, really good color, uh, good contrast, good, you know, just 
all kinds of stuff. But he just had it on that flat display board. Uh, so people, yeah, yeah so people were just walking right past it, you yeah, know, because mm-hmm. I had my big cave there, and Pat's been doing a bunch of cool work on his, on yeah. his board, and they were just walking right past this. But I love the way that um, that Dale did the paint scoring, where um, everybody did their nominations, and then the finalists were put out again on on day one. Everybody did their nominations. Then the finalists were put out again on day two. Oh, everybody, so everybody to go back a... and vote yep. again, and that final vote, and that's where Ryan, I think, finally yeah. stood up because I, he I was put out Ryan. there right next to ours, and people were able to go like, "Oh my gosh, that's incredible!" So yeah. yeah, he had he had my vote for sure. I'm pretty sure most of our team voted for him. Yep, um, that's the first time I haven't voted for Ricky in like over a year. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I I literally yeah. I went and I did like a. a I, I actually had to do a deep comparison kind of thing and look at it and go, you know, there is, there is nothing like if you look at Ricky's painting technique and Ryan's painting technique, um, there is, there is no clear, um, leader between the two. They were both extremely good. And, um, it, you know, that, that's where most, most of the time uh, they fall down and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, give it to Ricky mm-hmm. then. Um, cause, um, but these conversions were fantastic. The yeah. army looked really great together. The paintwork was phenomenal. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is this is short of the display board. This is the equal of of your night goblins. Yeah. Um and it's it's new and it's yeah. and it's yeah. very impressive. New kid on the block. And yeah. and I had no I had no guilt in, in voting <laughs> voting no, for yeah, him. I, I wanted him to have it. If I didn't if if I had gotten it, I would have given it to him because there's like it was worth it. That that yep. guy that guy earned it. Um, he really really great paint. Um, the only like if he does a display board that at, even it doesn't even need to be super involved display board, but one that just at least gives it a backdrop and some vertical so that people come to look. Yep. Because usually when the when the display board has a backdrop, people have to walk around and look at it. Yeah. And that gets their eyes on it. Um, Display board techniques. Yeah, it's yeah. just gonna it's gonna draw people in, and then there he's just gonna clean house. He'll be cleaning house for the next year. Cool. Um, which which I'd love to see. Yeah. Um, so second place was Pat. And um, I, I have to say that um, I really liked uh, Pat. I played against Pat mm-hmm. in this, and I um, I saw I ha- a couple of things that I hadn't seen before in his army. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one is he has a beautiful chaos dragon um, with the sorcerer lord. Um, and he has the sorcerer Lord kind of floating around the dragon on a disc, Ooh. um, which was really cool. And so whenever the Lord died, he would just take the disc off. Um, and then, uh, he has this great conversion of a steam tank. Yeah. That's his Gorby. Oh, I think I've seen that online. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's like kind of, uh, it's like splitting and it's half splitting in and half yeah, and yeah. big gribbly yeah, yeah. tentacles coming out from the middle. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the really cool thing about, uh, you were talking about some of the best hobbyists. Um, a really cool thing about playing against Pat's army, um, you know, he has a, um, he also has a, a, what do you call that? The altar thing that the war thing, altar, war shrine, the war shrine. That's oh, the right. one. Yeah, yeah. For the it, and uh, he has that. It's got like a big stone horn head on the front. He's done a conversion for that. You play against any of of his units, and they're all like super impressive, and they stick out a mile, and all the rest of it. But 
All the fronts of them are magnetized. So as soon as he gets into base contact, it's like the head just pops off or the tentacles just pop off yeah. so that he can line them all up nicely. Hmm. And yeah. so he, he's he's thinking about his conversions as a gamer. Right. And like, you know, my, my hat is off to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, Ricky, you, you're you're letting the side down. You came in third this time around. Well, What's with that? No, man? but that's <laughs> uh, and here's why because Pat has been doing work. I have not. Yeah. yeah. So and he does, people reward new stuff for yeah, sure. Yeah, and, that, and that's that, and, and that's the way it should be. You yeah. know, people who are actively painting. I haven't really like this this Hopper boss I'm working on right now. He's kind of the first time I've picked up a night goblin since um since you did the carpet bagger about six uh years. no since I I did a few models for masters. So, right. and the, so that was, you know, that was four or five months ago now. Yep. So this is kind of, so yeah, I mean, Pat's been doing work on his display board. He's been adding more models. He definitely deserves the second place. I mean, he and probably deserves the first, but I, if it wasn't, you know, Ryan's army there. Yep. So, um, so, uh, I took third. Um, I would have been happy to have that go to Jim too. Like, I think that I bet me and Jim were probably neck and neck. Yeah, there was, um, it was a really high standard. Yeah, so I was impressed. Uh, let's see. Then we had, uh, oh, let's see. We had best painted judges vote. So James Downey, who he won that, but it was commissioned painted by Jen. Jen was actually there. He was nice enough to give her the trophy. So yeah. that was nice. Um, best sports was uh, Goldstein. What's his first name? Ben? Ryan. Ryan Goldstein. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Goldstein's not even his real name. That's yeah. his nickname, but I think that's how he's known. <laughs> and then he's just flipping us off. That's really nice. Uh, there was a cake contest. Best cake went to Clark. Um, he did the Purple Sun. It was a lemon cake, right? Was it yeah, a lemon cake? I think so. Purple Sun. Done like a Purple Sun. Um, and then best overall went to Little Pat. Yeah. Um, and, so there was the one. He had one nice big, uh, big Spartan helmet. helmet. Yeah. And so it, on Little Pat, it looked very chibious. <laughs> um, so anyways. Yeah, so so two great tournaments in, in, in a month. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's me kind of done until OFCC. Yeah. <laughs> this is like... Uh, amateur. I, yeah. Amateur. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was a great tournament. Um, I think I always love playing with the, the Canadians out there. Yeah. Good, good group of people. Yep. Um, um Dale runs runs a tight tight event that um is very it, it does really cater to the people who want to play play hard, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels very um personable and nice and friendly and yep. um so Yep, so he he uh he sold out this year. Um in that all of his tickets were sold out. Oh, well, I was like, yeah. huh? <laughs> sold, out. Yeah. sold out. Yeah, he had the whole place plastered with advertisements. Yeah, yeah. We had no. some. We had some no shows day too because of um, copious amounts of drinking from the Booziness. pub quiz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Jordan ended up with stitches. Stitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So woke up in some random parking lot. You know. mm. <laughs> Covered in blood. Yeah. Half of to... the course. <laughs> yeah. Half of the course. Um. But uh, I think next year he's planning on uh, moving to a different venue. Oh, a bigger one. A huh? uh, bigger venue. Um, and he's aiming to have 80 people at it. Mm. So um, I think he could fill that. I think so, mm. because it's the only event that's run in uh, in BC that is only fantasy. Yeah. Every other event runs, you know, 
40k and Malifo and other things at the same time. Yeah. And so some whoever the crossover players are, they have to make a choice. Whereas, yeah. you know, five organized games of or six organized games of yeah, Warhammer. Yeah, I would always drive up for whatever he runs. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So he was going to come on the show to talk about it, um, but uh, he didn't realize we were podcasting tonight, and he'd already, yeah, he'd already made plans. Yeah, so what a, yeah, what a jerk. plans. Yeah, Who has plans? those? wives you know that sort of thing anyway all right cool so that's our tournament zone um uh we will wrap that up and go to the pit yeah i can't wait pit 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 pit. the pit the pit the pit as the last line of defense between an assassin's blade and the mage priest he is charged with defending jackax's skills as a bodyguard are commensurate with his age not a single slan under his protection has died to an enemy blow, and he has become expert at discerning the most covert of threats and then flattening them with a mighty two-handed swing. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Checkx is cool. So uh, I love the fluff for Checkx, and unfortunately... Like like so many special characters, he is he is underused, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I think it's just a combination of his lack of save. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's fairly expensive too, and, and then he's, he's only two wounds, right? Yeah, yeah. If he was three wounds, I think a lot of people would take him. Yeah, so I know I would. Yeah, so he is. Uh, he has the same profile as a scar veteran, pretty much. I think looks like it. Um, and, uh, the same rules. Um, and he, um, he also has the guardian special rule, which is what the temple guard have. Um, he has two other special rules, eternity warden. So he has to always, uh, issue a challenge, but he gets to reroll failed rolls to hit. So that's pretty good. And the other special rule, ultimate bodyguard is only useful against, uh, whenever there's a, uh, slan in the, in the room. So we ignore that one. Um, the Starstone Mace uh, is a great weapon that um, can destroy magic items. So I don't think that's any use against Draka. I don't think she has any. Um, and he has the Helm of the Prime Guardian, which is magic armor. Um, so that turns his 5-up into a 4-up. And um, Anything that's hidden has to be revealed, so like assassins, night goblin, fanatics, etc. But again, that doesn't. So he just has a four up for these purposes. Four up, and he also has a five up ward save from the key to the eternity chamber. So that's that thing that uh, dangles around his neck. Um, And but that's only when he's fighting in a challenge. So, and his opponent gains the always strikes last special rule. So. Um, she's going to be going simultaneously with him. Okay, so that's Chuck X. I'm always reminded of Chaka Khan, which is like that really bad band from the 80s. Just, I wonder, is he named after them? He might be. Just knowing Games Workshop's naming mm. policy on things. I think that's the key, that little bit right there. Oh, uh, the, the gray thing? Yeah. Oh, cool. All right, Drika, the Briar, Briar Maven of Woe. <laughs> what the hell is a Whoa. Briar Maven? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, there are no good passages about Drika in here. I was looking for one, and I can't find one. 
Um, so instead, um, I'm going to read her fanatical resolve special rule in a Draka voice. Mm. All right. Psych <laughs> <laughs> yourself up. Okay. Yeah, right. This is going to be, I don't know if I can quite reach the notes I need to reach to get this one proper. So. <laughs> you want me to punch you in the nuts? <laughs> do re me fall. Go on. Yeah. <clears throat> Doing it without laughing is the hard part. Fanatical resolve. Each time Draco suffers an unsaved wound, her attack's characteristic <laughs> increases by two. What I can't do it. <laughs> I'm trying to get really high no, pitched. No, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> this is a winner. Just do it. Oh, yeah. You're on to a winner. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Tom. All right. Uh, I can't do it when it's trying to read something serious. It has to be the stupid fluff. This is the problem. Okay. <laughs> it's too. It's a bit too uh, golem, really. That's <laughs> <laughs> my precious. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where I'm gonna go from there. So to the pit. To the pit. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a good segue. We, we, we need more. We need more content. I don't know. Uh, I'm not drunk enough. Uh, uh, don't cut any of this, by the way. <laughs> just leave it all in there. The yeah. <laughs> Top-notch stuff. <laughs> okay. You would never know if I cut it or not because you never listen to the podcast. Oh, oh I will. Oh, I will this time. Yeah. When, I'm, when yeah. I retire, I'll sit and listen to all of them. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's got to be better ways to spend your retirement <laughs> than listening to us. There's definitely better ways. <laughs> and 30-year-old podcasts. <laughs> I remember back in the day, I used to listen to this podcast. Oh, no, I, no, I didn't, actually. Okay, let's go to the pit. Will pods even exist anymore? Nobody will know what you're talking on? about. You'll, you'll do be... pods even exist now anymore? Mm, yeah. They do. Yeah, you can really? still buy pods. Yep. They'll have a pod. But yeah. most people just have a phone pod instead, it's true. right? They do have a phone pod. All right. Contenders are in the pit. Um, so... Do we even... What even are the rules for Draco? Oh, we, we should do that. Yeah. That. Yeah, I should read that. <laughs> a very silly voice. You playing Chakaks, bro? I'm not playing anything. You guys are playing. No, you're playing Chakaks, bro. Oh, I don't mind which I play because I love both of these guys. No, no. then see, you guys are playing. Okay, so uh, Draika is I a level two die. wizard who uses the spells from the Lore of Shadow. Uh, who's going to win? Uh, the dice will tell us who's going to win. What do you mean? I want to know who's going to win. Oh. <laughs> 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 you're such a jerk. <laughs> Yes, Tom only wants to play on the winning side. Okay, so Draka's level two lore of shadow, uh, but she casts a well. She casts a level three if she's in a forest. The pit is not a forest. Um, she causes fear. She's got hatred. And she's got forest spirits, where she gets a six up ward save. Um, if she takes a wound, and she's got three wounds, if she takes a wound, um, her attacks go up by two for the remainder of the battle for each wound. She has how many wounds? Three? Three, yeah. Mm. So she starts with four attacks. So by the time she's at one wound, she's at eight attacks. Solid. But it's only strength four. And he's tough five. So uh, <coughs> Rouse to Wrath isn't going to come into play because that allows her to to make um, um, tree, tree spirits uh, ambushing. She's so wrathful. However, so she is a level two wizard. Do you want to be... You want to be Draka or you want to sure. be Chakax? You're going to be Draka. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll do Chakax then. Okay, so roll your spells. 
Shadow, this is? Shadow, uh, yep. Shadow, Shadow. I can pull up the spell. Lord nice. Shadow. I think. All right. I got the you got pit, uh, mind pit and mind raiser. Pit and mind raiser. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, and you're really low initiative, so yeah, I'll do... What's my what's my uh, leadership? Um, nine, I think. Nine-ish. You're going right. to try yeah, and throw a good. pit. Really? Uh, duh. <laughs> leadership nine. Why uh, did you let him play? Duh. Why did you let him go attack him, man? That's all right. He likes to be the wizardy, sneaky type. <laughs> okay. Um, Chakox's <laughs> initiative is three. So it's a 50-50 shot. Okay. Sounds good. I like those odds. All right. Oh so for first turn, Z's? Yeah, roll for first turn. You get a three. I get a five. All right, you're up. I'm going you're first. Up. I'm going to march forward eight. Okay. And pass the turn. So that puts you at 16 inches 16 away. 16 inches, yeah. All right, I'm hanging back. I'm going to roll my winds of magic. Pansy. Oh, wow, 10. I got a 10. I'm just going to six dice a pit of shades. On a 14. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Well, so I have 10, 14, 16, and I'm level 2, so 18. 18. All right, I've got five dice to throw at this. And... Oh, I don't think I get it. Nope. 12, I only get a 16. Yes, okay. Dang. So... See if it scatters. Uh, how do we do this with a, so a d6 to follow just, the one? Uh, well, on a d6, let's... Uh, so roll one die. That's the that's the artillery. So All it's right. going to go six inches. Okay. And then you roll another one, and the one is the arrow. And then, so what is a hit? A hit would be a six or okay. a, a one. A six or a one, yeah. You're yeah, right. You re -roll I've those. forgotten how to play this yep, game. Yep. Oh, it's a hit! Oh, no. Oh, you're going to die. This All right. 50-50 shot. <laughs> I pass my initiative test oh, on a boo. one. I have to actually fight. Yep. Well, <laughs> you, you know, you've got another, another round. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dirty, dirty man. <laughs> he is a dirty dog. Okay. All he wants to do uh, is magic everywhere. I am not going to try and do the 12-inch charge, so I will march forward. Let's see. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go to... I'm going to march forward eight. You can charge me if you want, bro. All right, brah. All right. I'm, All right, bro, I'm eight bro, inches bro. away. All right, you're done? Yep. You All get right. one more magic phase, you no, pansy. I'm, I'm charging. You're charging? I'm charging. All right. I will hold. Um, what's my move? Four? <laughs> five, five, so five. Anything but a All right, I'm one. in. You're in. Okay. I issue a challenge. Okay, I accept. Now I'm going to roll some magic. Four dice. Oh, four dice. For your mind razor. Four dice mind razor. What do I need for mind razor? Uh, 18. Oh, 18. no. That sucks. Yeah. All right, all right. Come on. Oh, you get it, too. Look at that. Yes. Seven, uh, 17, 17 up two. to 19, yeah. Come on, double sixes. No. All right, my razor for the win. Ugh. So I have four attacks. Uh, you have four attacks. We're going Simo. Okay. You go first. You and roll we, the dice. And we both get to re-roll. We both get to re-roll. But you're a higher weapon skill than me, so I'm hitting you on fours. Sweet. He only have two wounds. Oh, he's dead. He's dead, man. Um, never been so happy. Magic is I've never crutch. been so happy. Magic is your crutch. You just. I think this might be simultaneous death, though. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. So I've got four attacks with Predatory Fighter. 
mm. as well as right. uh, yeah, as well as oh yeah, I forgot about predatory fire. That's nice. That's nice. So I I hit with one, miss with three. So I'm gonna reroll those for my special roll, and I get one predatory fighter, one miss, one hit. So that's reroll. Oh, I keep that as a hit. So I have three hits so far. And the predatory fighter. Nope. That's a uh, miss. But no death. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, twos to wound. All right. Oh my gosh. I've got two three, hits. Three no, hits. I've got three hits. All right, reroll that two from your hatred. Two. Oh, no! <laughs> Double ones. Double ones. <laughs> Same one. All right. Um, well, that was that was fun. That was epic. Yep. Good stuff. I need to get back to doing that more often. So unfortunately, we had a tiny glitch in recording the pit. And you can kind of catch the end of it there, but Draika also managed to do two wounds to Chakax, and they ended up killing each other simultaneously, as predicted. So I'm sorry to have to interject with that, and now we'll get back to the rest of the show. News and rumors. There, there is no news. <sighs> yeah, I know. Okay, this is, <laughs> this is our our downtown funk, and then there's no uptown funk, unfortunately, mm. for this. This is all down. Um, so, so I went through like a period of about a month, maybe longer, of being like super down about, about the hobby. It's um, weird because I was I was on like a, I was loving the end times. Yep. Like I was not one of the naysayers at all. I was like, oh yeah, this is way fun. But then as soon as it finished, I was like, oh. Yeah. Now what do we have? Yeah, Archaeon. The way they ended it just yeah. kind of smashed everybody's hobby world and left us going like, well, okay, but give us something more. And yeah, then they have to hold on to. And, they and I would have been totally cool with ending it that way if something new had popped up straight away and they're like that's over and yeah. then here's what's then here's what's happening now yeah but instead it's like well now you just have like three months of limbo or longer even where, yeah yeah you know, we don't know what's coming no idea yeah because i think it was a bad move on gw's part but maybe you know maybe they know what they're doing maybe. well <laughs> i don't think anyone's ever accused them of that before mm. there's a couple of interesting side effects to that um buying miniatures on the um, on the secondhand market, um, prices have dropped considerably. Yeah, because every, I think that is a little weird as well. Like some people, you know, are just selling their entire collections without even waiting to see what comes next. I haven't gone that far, at least. Yeah, and I think even even beyond that, it's like people are like, well, you know, I, I don't know what's happening with this game. Um, um, everyone's telling me that uh, you know things are all going to change. I have this third army that I was going to start, so I'm instead picking up War uh, 40k or or you know War Machine or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sell this third safer. army yeah. in order to fund you know whatever it is. Right. So um, on that note, I've picked up a second army. <laughs> um, so I actually I actually bought Jesse's ogres. Um, so he had a whole bunch of ogres that his wife was going to be painting, but they just kind of had sat there Mm. and, uh, I'm buying Anthony's ogres. (laughs) (laughs) So none of these are painted. Um, and most of them aren't even assembled. So it's like starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I've got, I've got some lead belchers, some mornfang, some iron guts, some bulls, uh, thunder tusk and a, and a 
iron blaster um and uh picking up another thunder tusk stroke stone horn from uh, from riley mm. and uh, that'll be that'll be you know most of the army as soon as i get some characters in there so pretty excited about that so you got over your funk pretty quickly then if you it just... took it took about a month um and uh you know i i wrote to um my friend that works at games workshop um over in the hq and um uh, you know, kind of described the funk to him. And his response was, um, first off, uh, I, he's bound by NDA. And so, sure. you know, I couldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was kind of like, you know, yes, it ends, but you know, that doesn't mean that, that the stories don't still exist and the characters don't still exist. Um, it's not like Games Workshop's going to come and, you know, take all your miniatures away or, the, or you know, all of the rules and armies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he he kind of said, um, you're going to you're going to you're going to love what's coming. OK, um, but that's kind of my thing. What if I do love what's coming? Then why would I continue doing something different right now? You know? I think I think the the impression that I got from his email was, you know, they're not going to invalidate anything. They're not going to invalidate anything, but they're gradually over time going to move towards a new format of things is my worry. And, you know, whatever they move towards, you know, a lot of people have this idea that their group are going to like keep 8th edition alive or whatever. But with games, despite what people's intentions are, what tends to happen is over time you know, people just converge towards whatever is current and supported. Sure. So, you know, if I, my feeling is I just can't, can't justify the like money and time investment I put into working on my army when it's not, it doesn't seem like a long-term time investment anymore. It's something I'll do for fun rather than to create something that is going to be useful to me over a, a long period of time. That's because you play Chaos Dwarfs. <laughs> no, um, well, I think that actually might be part of it. You know, I'm not, I'm not all, all kidding aside. Um, you know, the Forge World stuff is is even more in in question because they, like Warhammer Forge has pretty much, um, mm. they've stopped producing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so uh, Tamarkan is out of print, right? Um, so we have to assume that uh, either they're going to reboot Chaos Dwarfs. Um, or they're going to go away as an army. They'll go away completely. But that's not... Like, I just bought a load of Warriors stuff before all of this happened, and I was working on my Warriors army and loving it, but... And they're not going to go away. No. Right? If you look at it purely from a, um, you know, a business perspective, they just released all of these new big kits to support the end time stuff. Right. The end time stuff will probably not go away. Right? Half your army is end time stuff? Yeah. It is, but I want to know what I'm going to be playing before I kind of, you know, put the time in to actually finish up that army. I want to know what what game I'm going to be playing, first of all. So the way that I look at it is, it's very unlikely I'm going to stop playing Warhammer Mm -hmm. in whatever format it comes out in, right? And so the assuming that that is true, um, the game always evolves. Right. If you look across even how eighth edition came out, where it started with, you know, the big infantry blocks and Mind Razor and 
you know all that and then then the monstrous cavalry came out mm -hmm. and and that kind of changed everything and then fast cav happened fast cav happened and that changed everything and if you were playing um you know one army throughout all of that you had to change what you were playing and how you were playing it you had to buy different models or you know at least on a if, if you were super competitive about it you would have had to do that mm -hmm. um and even to say to stay reasonably competitive you would you would probably have to field things that maybe you hadn't before and then your new army book came out and now your whole army composition changes so you know i think it's a fallacy to think that that the hobby um is that predictable and can stay static it just it's true it's just we like to we like to feel that it that it is yeah. and does and that gives us a sense of comfort and this this discomfort is coming from knowing that something um, monumental has happened and is going to happen in the near future. And I think as soon as it, as soon as it drops, I think the whole hobby mojo for, for everyone will, you know, for 80% of people, it'll just come right back. And for 20% of the people, it'd be like, okay, that's it. I'm out. Mm -hmm. um, so I really hope that's the split. Maybe part of my worry stems from, you know, I always find it struggle to, I always struggle to commit to a, like an army in the first place and then do all the stuff. So my worry is that maybe they'll come up with something way awesome that I just want to start right then. <laughs> and then I'll just want to buy that and give up on everything else I was doing. So, so what you're saying is you have commitment issues. I have commitment issues. Does Liz know? <laughs> she understands. <laughs> she understands. Okay. Um, what about you, Ricky? How's your, how's your hobby mojo level been? Uh, yeah, I, I was burned out for a while. I, I and I think a lot of that was just going to too many tournaments, um, so yeah. I was a little burned out. Um, yeah, the, the negativity in the whole in the whole community has kind of kind of killed a lot of it for me. Um, but you know, I'm still chugging along. Like I'm doing some painting here and there again, which feels good. I need to get back to Tale of Painters and stuff like that. If they haven't already kicked me off, I'm not even sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're still the token fantasy guy, so probably. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think for me, the, uh, I, I, I did have some like armies in the hopper, and yeah, like that first few initial batches of rumors, um, would have totally killed those armies. Um, so I was like, well maybe I should kind of hold off because the ones that I was thinking of starting were kind of old models to begin with. So, you know, they could have been totally, totally taken out of the, the universe. Um, and so, yeah, there was that whole combination that just kind of put a funk on me, but I'm, I'm getting back into it. Um, when I can, I'm getting mm -hmm. my painting going again, um, which feels good. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's 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 a weird time. I think um, if we can all just stay calm, <laughs> it is yeah. Stay calm and hobby on. I think one yeah. of the b big problems for me was this: this all happened at the same time that I got super busy with work as well. Yeah, so that would have happened to me too. Yeah. I naturally had to take a break from the hobby, and then talking myself up to getting back into it has been harder given all of the uncertainty. Yeah. So if yeah. I'd been able to just push through, it might have been different, but yeah, I think that's definitely true. Like the three of us, um, haven't even been in the same room for like two months or something right. because of work schedules yeah. and what have you. So, 
been jetting I, off all around the country. I think on the on the micro scale that has that has affected how we've felt about the hobby because we don't have you know the nerd reinforcement bubble mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. kind of happens. So. Yeah, so I guess um, I had you, a really great. You go for your nerd dose online, and you just find this like negativity. pages of negativity, yeah. and vitriol, rage, yeah. and yeah. bile. Yeah. yeah, I've stopped reading forums altogether. <laughs> um, like all the like news, like news, like Warhammer news yep. sites and forums. I'm just like, I just gotta avoid them for now because it's just one yeah. big like smear of, oh this is happening or that's happening. And like, even when now when people post in our chat, like, Oh, Hey, here's the next rumors. I'm like, I don't even want to see that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, it is just that it's rumors. I could pull those same things out of my butt and they're probably going to be just as accurate as whatever is in that thing. And so why bother? You know, yep. let's just all wait until we actually have photos of printed material you know those kinds of leaks. All I'm interested in seeing because those are real. Mm-hmm. None of this like wish listing. You know, yeah, yeah. Which is really what most of the stuff I see lately is. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, I'm I'm uh, excited about what's going to come, but more than that, I'm excited about painting ogres. And mm. um, they're they're a ton of fun to put together, um, especially because I'm usually putting them together like last thing in the at night. And they're a lot less fiddly than, you know, elves are. They're a bit more chunky and a little easier for my hand-eye coordination to handle <laughs> it at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Um, I also, man, I I did not realize just just how big and pointy the nipples are on those ogre yeah. models. Mm-hmm. It's pretty freaky, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I'm like, that's why they have three attacks, right? It's mm-hmm. like one from the sword and one from each nipple. It's like, yep. They're going to flatten elves with those things. Yeah, it's pretty perverse. <laughs> it's like they took the boobs off of the demons and gave them to the ogres. Or maybe it was the it's other way around. Weird. They used yeah. their nipple antennas to send <laughs> data back to <laughs> Earth. <laughs> oh, so That's... Seattle Rock Orchestra is going to be doing David Bowie. What? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. I think what? Zach might be singing. Oh, snap. I yeah. have to see that. Yeah. When is it? Uh, November. I think Tiffany's gonna arrange it for us. Seattle Rock Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have to. Good do times. It. Good oh, times. Yes. Zach. Zach is uh, one of our local gamers, and he's a rock star, and uh, um, he sings in the Seattle Rock Orchestra. He's going to be doing Bowie. David yeah. Bowie, and, which is he's got a good voice for that. So. It's funny because Zach looks more like Brian May, mm. right? The guitarist from Queen. Mm-hmm. He's got the long black curls and, and yeah, yeah. yeah he looks like slash kind of a little bit like slash yeah something well, he like looks that. like zach davidson from he, well, Dead <laughs> <Red>. <laughs> <laughs> uh but his band plays like uh rock karaoke which is it's mm. it's like karaoke except you go and and rockaroke yeah rockaroke yeah. or whatever yeah they call well, it well he does that as a gig that's yeah. not his band he's got like three bands though but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Vendetta red something. like they've been around for quite a while and um, this is why he, he can't come to Sparkle Party. Yeah, because... he, he misses tournaments because he's always off singing somewhere. Yeah, so, yeah. But... Uh, the hard life of a rock star. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, so so there's no news. Um, and, <laughs> and I think we're going to uh, refuse to acknowledge rumors. Okay, that sounds and, good. And, yeah, because uh, the, the rumors we're getting now, they're, like, they're not like our normal rumors where we have a photo that right. somebody posted of right. a leaked white dwarf or something like that. These are It's just complete speculation at this point. Everybody calm down. Everybody 
remember what got you into the hobby in the first place, which was probably models. models. And the models aren't going anywhere. And if you got into the hobby because you like playing the game, just keep playing the game you're playing now, and you're going to be fine. You know, and, and, and one more thing. Most people probably got into the game because they liked hanging out with their buddies, mm-hmm. right? And whatever what their buddies happen to be playing this game is like, oh, cool, I'm going to pick that up. Um, go and hang out with more nerds and, and, you know, just spend time playing the game and having fun and shooting the breeze because seriously, that's how, that's how my nerd bubble gets recharged. You know, um, I had a great chat with little Pat actually at, uh, at victory or death. And I was talking a bit about burnout and a combination of burnout from, from this and from the tournament scene and, you know, from being deeply involved in the masters. Um, and, you know, he said, uh, Chris Powell, a very competitive player, but takes everything in his stride, right? You know, uh, he took that, that beating that he got by Ryan, you know, didn't didn't even phase him. Um, I played him last year at Victory or Death, same thing. And, and Pat said, you know, that wasn't always the case. Um, that, you know, at one point in a tournament, he was... He was uh, playing against Pete Davis and he got, he got really kind of wound up and ended up pushing Pete and, and, you know, they were yelling at each other and then they they just kind of had a moment of like, what the heck did we just do? And they started laughing and, you know, it just kind of shifted their attitude towards things. And, and Pete's exactly the same, you know, he plays hard, but he also, you know, happy to lose as much as he is to win. And that kind of helped, you know, give me a bit of better perspective. It's like tournaments in a game like Warhammer are really, you know, five organized games of Warhammer mm-hmm. uh, as much as they are any kind yeah, of competitive Yeah, and that's event. what you got to treat them as. If yeah. you're just there to just roll dice and hang out with people that you like and play Warhammer with people you like yep. and then happen to win something, you know, Great. that's just yeah. cherry on top. And yeah. and so that, that for me is what inspired me to start my my ogre army i'm like you know i want to be there i'm you know i can have i can have mad skills on the battlefield but if i'm not enjoying myself why Mm -hmm. you know why bother and so i'm going to go there i'm going to try and put the ogre army together show off a little bit and uh and you know roll dice and have fun yeah good good i don't know what tom's gonna do i don't know what i'm gonna do either you're gonna come over and paint we'll have a paint yeah we'll do a paint Paint. i need to paint yeah paint something paint Paint like a Nurgling, it. and you'll Paint feel so much better. But what if Nurglings aren't in ninth edition? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Doesn't matter. They're cute on their own. You can play them in 40K. We'll just rebase them. <laughs> there you go. The Art of War. Hills, marshes, rivers, forests. Oh, my. Hmm. So scenery plays over a, the hill and through the woods. <laughs> plays a very big part in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I don't know very many people who use the rulebook rules for generating scenery. Uh, yeah, very few because the problem with their rules, and I'm trying to actually find where it is D6 here. Six plus four. You end pieces. up with so much on the table. Yeah. That it, yeah. it becomes. Um, is it D six plus four? So you I think, end up with ten. I think things. it's two D six. Two D six. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I gotta find it. Where is it here? 
Like I'm I'm using the digital edition, so it's not exactly. Yeah, it's not in the um, it's not in the battlefield terrain part. I don't think. Uh, no, it's in the um in the setting up a game kind of section. Uh, yeah, and, uh, fighting like a war. Oh, fighting a warhammer battle, battle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so weird that it's like in a different section. Yeah. Aha! Here we go. Okay. 2d6. No, it's d6 plus four pieces. You're right. Okay. And then, and then you roll 2d6 2D on the random yep, train. Yep. Yeah. So you can end up with 10 things on the table. Yeah, and I've had what that happen. You, what is, would you say is average of the tournament number well, of pieces you see? Well, it's you, yeah, you're saying like 10 things on a table, but some of the things are like a village. They say, <laughs> place a village. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think average for most tournaments is about five to six pieces of game affecting terrain on the table there might be other stuff that doesn't necessarily affect the game that much yep. but i think you see about five to six um i know for sparkle parties i try to go with that i try to have at least you know six pieces of terrain on the board mm -hmm. but i don't i also try not to i like to have little alleys and little things like that you know where where people would fight but um so that's another thing do many other than just the number of terrain pieces do many people do the actual tactical terrain setting up kind of aspect of the game um, trying to gain some advantage by laying down pieces of terrain some tournaments do it um like the quake city rumble for example um the terrain is assigned to the table but at the start of the game the players take turns to set the terrain set the down terrain yeah up, so. i i haven't done that in a while at a at one of our regional terrain or regional tournaments yeah i think black sheep brawl there were those tables were a little unplayable some of them so i think me and my opponent kind of just rearranged some stuff before the game started and that does happen sometimes at other events where we'll get to the table and something obviously was moved because a display board needed to be put down <coughs> or something and like there's a stack of terrain over in one <coughs> corner so we'll yeah. replace it but i think almost all the times that that happens we do it aesthetically more than anything and then we roll off for table sides yeah because i i think that's kind of what our default um in our area has kind of become mm -hmm. is, is the aesthetic reason you know set the table for aesthetics does this look like it's maybe reality or probable and is it playable for both sides relatively fair yep. and then and then you roll a dice to see which side you get you know yeah for sure um i think that's just kind of um i think more maybe the more sporting way to do it mm. um i mean i know when i went down to san jose and i played a game just a local game store um they used the random terrain chart and we rolled a six and we so we had 10 pieces mm. and we rolled no forests despite that being a seven on the on the table and so oh, we had all these so buildings 10 things that are not forests. 10 things that are not forests we had a whole bunch of buildings and, you know, it's luckily that we didn't roll like a settlement of order or an encampment of destruction, which is like three buildings, three buildings, three obstacles, plus, you know, uh, one random other structure, you know. Yeah. So um, I, I think those rules are um, they're I'm not sure that you would like they're probably great for a casual game. Right, you've never you you play once every few weeks, and you play one game against your buddies, and you know you you're putting whatever models you have on the table, sort of thing. I think if you're a regular gamer, I don't know anyone who who uses them. Mm -hmm. You know, 
Yeah, I like just rocking up to a table that I've had no part in designing at well, all. Something that's just new and yeah, and the the ta- the the table generator takes so long. Yeah, it does. Yeah, because I mean, especially at game stores where terrain might be spread all over the store, and you're mm-hmm. rolling stuff, and you're like, "Well, yeah. let's see if we can find one of those somewhere here." Yeah, <laughs> and you know, half an hour later, you finally got a table set up that. Um, Oh, you know, were... you could have done in two minutes if you just took whatever was on the table, made it look good, and right. yeah. My, my preference, even for a casual game, would be to just say to a like if there's a third party present, just you know, set, set up the game up that yeah. looks like a battlefield. Yeah, yeah. That's we'll, we'll to fight me on it. the best way to do it. You know, get someone else to set it up, and then you're done. Yeah. Um, because the worst thing is rolling like two or three rivers. <laughs> like, oh well, yeah. There's it's that. a delta. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are on the delta. <laughs> Why the did bayou. we choose to fight on the delta? <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, okay, so we're not. I, I don't. I kind of want to shy away from talking about buildings um, because the yeah, rules for buildings <laughs> are, are are pretty complicated, and a lot of different areas um, either play them wrongly or deliberately, you know change the rules for buildings mm-hmm. um so we'll we'll talk about the other types so the the four main types um aside from impassable terrain you've got hills forests um water features water features so mm-hmm. rivers and marshes and obstacles mm-hmm. um and these are the ones where you might make some tactical tactical decision uh in the game that is because of the terrain feature other than you know the nav- having to navigate around it, right? So, so we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about impassable terrain and what have you. But so those those are the those are the five types. Now, different like in the masters, for example, um, they say that anything that's impassable and any hill also blocks line of sight. Uh huh. Um, whereas in the rules, um, you're only blocking line of sight if you literally a model's eye view. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't see the other model. Then be the rules. Yeah. So um, a lot of that, I think, depends on how big your scenery is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much. Of, yeah. So much of like this discussion can also just come down to what you have. Yeah. Like and it, how big your models are. You yeah. Know? Back in the day, when models were smaller, a hill genuinely would block most units. It from usually sight. did. Yeah. But now yeah. everything is now with the gas. <laughs> yeah. Even like you know skull crushes, you'll see them over the over a hill so you know models have just gotten bigger yeah and that's cool i want to see really big models Mm -hmm. you know um at the same time um you just need really big hills as well and brah well and that that's what i've (laughs) that's what i've started to see right you i've started to see hills that are you know three inches high um and now two levels of a three inch high hill um so that you can actually put a monster behind the hill and not have it be cannoned off on the Mm -hmm. first turn You'd still see Nagash's hat behind that. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> You'd and, still see most of Nagash behind and, that. And Glotkin's, you know. Mm, wibbly bits. Wibbly bits, yeah. <laughs> wibbly bits. <laughs> 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 oh uh, yeah, so um, I think th- my favorite thing about hills right now is that people forget you get plus one for charging down. Oh yeah. I love that mm, one too. Mm-hmm. I love that. So especially playing with the random movers, um, you know, I play with the a bomb or the doom wheel. Um, love putting those bros on a hill 
and then they, you charge down, you get the impact hits, and you already, you've already you got plus one static combat res from the charge and plus one from the hill. Um, so it's interesting because a lot of the time when people are setting up a board, they put a hill at the back, right? You know, it's kind of, um, it, it's the natural place to visually, to, yeah, to visually put to it. Um, but it can be really interesting to plop a hill right in the center or at least along the center line mm-hmm. um, because you know, a lot of the time battles are fought about, we need to take that hill. Right? Sure. But how does that interact? If um, you're using this rule where hills block lines of sight completely, yeah. you have two units on the other side of the hill. Can't they can't charge each other. Each other yeah. yeah. Well, you know, which is actually kind of realistic when you yeah, think about it. Um, but uh, I, I mean, it just, it changes how you play the game. Right. Um, if you, it's no, it's no different than having a big piece of impassable terrain, mm-hmm. um, you know, or a big bu- building in the middle. You can't see the person on the other side. But the big difference with the hill is you get to the top, and now all of a sudden you can see, you know, that entire half of the board. Um, so anyway, that's that's my. Kind you like of, a hill in the middle. I, I you know, or you like to mix it up. I like to mix it up a little bit because I think people hills at the back favor um artillery pieces right um so if there's a hill at the back you can you can either hide your your monster behind it or you can put your artillery piece on the top of it but it's not going to play any part in the um in the middle of the game really you know it's it's unusual that you'll get a charge down a hill um from in, in your back line well, yeah maybe, maybe. unless you're castling off on yeah. that hill and then just charge down it that's true you know and that is a valid tactic so um what other rules are there for hills the, i mean the special hills uh, or just basic hills just they're basic just hills. open terrain actually i don't they're... i don't want to talk about any of the special yeah, so if you're just doing a basic hill they're considered open ground they're the one thing that fanatics can hit without dying mm-hmm. yep and um so yeah they just count as open ground but yeah charging down them you get the plus one bonus um, I've had people charge all the way completely over a hill from one side to the other, and I still give them the bonus. So. Yeah, but, I mean, which yeah. makes sense, right? Because but is, isn't it isn't it supposed to be where you start the charge? I think so, but charge? it's just fun to do it, you know. Whenever. Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. Let's see. Uh, let's see. What else do they say about hills? I don't think that's there's it? really else. Now, yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, we're probably not going to talk that much about magical or mysterious mysterious terrain. terrain right yeah um some of it is fun but some of it is fun but it i turns think a three-hour game into a five-hour game yeah and i think i think our them. meta just kind of decided very early on that like mystical is that mysterious one? mysterious mm-hmm. mysterious terrain it um it it sucks to play a game where the terrain wins the game and that's usually what happens with terrain that's some of them you get, they'll just, the one train piece will kill everybody. And we're like, well, that was fun I for neither like of us. I still sometimes run just one mysterious thing and work out what it is at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So that then you can factor it into your plan and everything. And it's not yeah. just going to be you get within six inches of it and then it yeah. blows your whole army up. Yeah. And I, I don't mind having one every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, like you said, that is pretty fun. Um, but... Yeah, just. Like I mean, if you take the rules as written, piece. every single thing is supposed to be like that. Mysterious, so. yeah. And it well, just feels ooh. so weird. Yeah. It like does. if the terrain was that deadly in the world, that nothing would be alive. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Um, it's interesting. OFCC last year, um, they had two pieces of mysterious terrain on each in mm. each scenario. Um, so they actually put little labels out on the terrain at the start of each scenario to remind you what it was, um, which I thought was good. And they selected the ones that were not too complicated, not too deadly. Yeah, I'm down with that. Although they did have a <laughs> they did have a scenario. With uh, a moving building. Do you remember that one? Oh, I do remember that <laughs> And the, the mm-hmm. building would smush things as it uh-huh. moved. Um, and you got points for having your army crushed by it. Yes, you did. <laughs> Which was pretty funny. Um, anyway, that's... Yeah, that's I, magical stuff. I'm in agreement. I, I generally don't like the magical stuff. Not mm-hmm. just be, for exactly what you said, Tom. It just makes the game too long. So long. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, forests, something that's uh, near and dear to my heart as a as a wood of, wood elf player. So mm, I love forests. Oh, I hate them. They're terrible. <laughs> I wish the, the I wish that me. they um, yeah. gave a few more penalties in the game. Actually, I feel like they're they're not they quite as light. In a yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think uh, I think that would just all make shooting ride too powerful. I think I shooting to at a unit that's in the forest should be minus one. Shooting at a unit that's behind it should be minus two. I think forest should stop cannons, things like that. You know. Yeah. Because I think making forest stop cannonballs fixes cannons a lot in as they are now. Because there's almost always some forest, and that would give some place for those big monsters to hide. That's true. You know, and it doesn't really change the rest of the game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, <clears throat> because. If you think about it, you put an obstacle down on the on the table, like a wooden fence. Mm-hmm. That wooden fence can stop a cannonball. Right. Once. But a forest. Once. Yeah. But a forest cannot, mm-hmm. even though the tree has not been cut down or sawed. Right. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, in fact, there's so much, actually, now that you say that, there's so much about the meta that would be fixed just by making forests block mm-hmm. cannonballs. I think mm-hmm. you should get down compute the exact amount of free space that there would be to move through all the trees in the forest and apply <laughs> that probability to whether the cannonball hits the thing or not or just hits a tree shut up tom <laughs> um or we just take a hammer and smash all cannons <laughs> no i do like having the cannons in there because monsters especially now are starting to become more and more powerful. So I, I have actually kind of come off of my anti-cannon rant. Nah, I'm still on it. But but I do think that... that um, I don't think the problem is cannons. I think the problem is the written monster rules. Because I'm possibly. fine with like a 200-point unridden monster getting cannoned off in a lucky shot. Yep. Or a shot. But it's taking but out the character at the same time. A, 400 point character with his 300 point mount yeah it starts to get a little bit ridiculous Painful. so change the written monster rules rather than the cannon rules anyway that's an aside that's an aside yeah um so the, the forest rules um cavalry monstrous cavalry or chariots um have to take a dt um and anything with the fly special rule that starts or ends its move in a forest has to take a dt now the big thing that that catches people is the chariots um i think they take um multiple wounds in the forest if they fail their dt but it doesn't say that in the forest section it says it in the dangerous terrain it's in the dangerous terrain section yeah 
um, which the digital rule book is great for being able to find that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so one tactic that I've used quite a lot, you know, and, and, you know, this is good, um, because you and I fight quite a bunch, um, like with the, with the wood elves quite happily, just keep an expensive unit, um, in the forest at the edge of the forest, shooting out, magicking out, whatever, um, because there's quite a risk of you if you charge into a forest with a chariot. Um, there's a risk that that chariot will just die um, before mm-hmm. it even before it even hits my guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had that happen um, more than once in a game. You know, it's a risk you have to take, but sometimes you have to take it. Ricky, if you're in favor of more penalties for forest, do you think a unit in a forest shooting out should take a penalty? I mean, they still got trees up up in their face, you know, all up in their business. So here's the thing, like in, in seventh edition, if you were within two inches of the edge, you shot without a penalty that felt right, but it was really cumbersome to deal with. Yeah. Um, I, I like they just went with like, if you're in the woods, you don't have to deal with it. I, I kind of feel like that that's okay with me. Mm -hmm. Um, a cannon in the woods should not be able to shoot out of it. There's a tree right in front of it. <laughs> Come on, it's but true. um, I but you know I I don't know. I think it's fine. Uh, who knows, man? It's all fine. It's fine. I just feel like um, like yeah. I just I just wish that uh, Forest gave a little more cover than they do. Just like the one soft cover doesn't really seem to, or or not even that. Maybe it's just because it only affects ballistic skill shooting that is the issue right. for me and it doesn't do anything to anything else and yep. trees are a huge yeah. thing. If, if you've ever I mean, been in a forest and you kind of think like a, an actual dense forest. That's I mean, what we I'm saying. In, you look in one direction and most of what you see is just tree. trunk. Yeah, trunk. Yeah. And you look up and, and you're like, okay, can, can I imagine... Uh, you know, a great big boulder coming from a stone thrower, you know, coming through this. And it's like, yeah, it would come through, but it would it would hit three or four trees and yeah. then it would kind of stop. Or or just make it so it always is like an indirect shot where it always scatters if you hit, yeah. shoot into woods. Yeah, it's going to bounce off some of those big but, trees. You know, it's like, yeah, this is all speculation. I think overall, though, for the way the woods work, I think they're pretty fun. Like, yep. um, I love that skirmishers get to be stubborn in there. Even so, because when characters are alone, character, they're a skirmisher. So when they pop in, right? Is that no, still? but they specifically say uh, a single... Um, a single um, and lone, lone infantry characters. Lone yep. infantry characters. Yep, they actually yep. say it right there. So they're yeah. So I, I knew they got it. I just don't know how they got it. Um, so they can be in there and be stubborn. So that's great. You can throw a lone infantry character in there and just be like, ha yep. ha ha. And um, you know, so I like that. I like. Um, I like that the the ranked up unit is cannot be steadfast. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. that's you know again another good way if you're facing off against a horde army, mm-hmm. um, and you you don't have a way to break their steadfast yeah hang out wait for them in the forest yeah yeah force them to come to you and just wait for it um but um one of the little tricks um and for some people this is probably obvious for other people it might be the first time they're hearing it um you take a unit of skirmishers put them in a forest and if they've got a champion in that in that unit um you know it can be a very easy way to delay um a much bigger unit for several turns um 
if you've got the champion in the front rank and they're in a in a long in a line so i'm just talking like five models here mm -hmm. um you accept the charge from from the ranked up unit um you're stubborn your champion is the only thing that's going to die in the first turn um and then in the second turn um you know you get to fight back but chances are yeah you might get wiped out to a model at that point but because you're in a line um you're much more likely to only yeah you might have a model left you might have a model a left stubborn. yep so um i've used that to pretty good effect with um you know like a little 75 point uh five man war dancer unit um and yeah being stubborn is just is just fantastic is getting yeah. free stubborn for cheap troops yeah a great way to do it um so i i, I kind of pay a very close attention to where the forests are on the mm -hmm. battlefield um I don't know if that's partially because I play a lot of wood elves, but it's also when I'm playing the Skaven, I want to avoid it with my doom wheel. Yeah. Right. So I put a doom wheel on a different side from the forests. Um, and I want to, um, make sure that, that if I'm going to have a combat in there, that I don't care about whether I'm steadfast or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I think forests as far as like an area of effect, have some of the strongest swings for big combat blocks. Like the yep. fact that they disrupt that stubborn mm -hmm. is really um, like for, I know for my goblins is horrible. So I, yeah. I hate fighting in woods with, with my goblins and I won't do it unless I absolutely have to, or they fail animosity and go do it themselves. <laughs> so, um, cause it, it's, yeah, it's bad. You know, like I, I, my army depends on stubborn and if I'm not stubborn, I'm going to have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so if you've got something expensive that you're trying to uh, keep keep away from from the ranked up units, um, stick them in the forest if you can. You know, um, it's is a a great way to deter your opponent from actually coming in and getting you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so rivers um, uh, next up, uh, Riley's favorite. Uh, <laughs> so I think the killer thing about rivers is that. The slowness of the slow you cannot march through uh, a river mm -hmm. if you have a big unit it can spend like two turns just getting oh, through that river yeah it's so slow it's realistic but it's slow it is but you realize like how much like the game depends on the march and dynamic if everybody if everything was constrained to its base movement it's yeah oh the slowest game yeah, yeah, imagine sure. if you could only use your base movement and charges were D6 instead of 2D6. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we'd have to play on a two-foot wide board. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so here's the other thing about rivers. Um, when it comes to... So they're not dangerous terrain. So you can actually... And this is weird. You can charge across them without it affecting your movement right which like if we're thinking in realistic terms doesn't make any sense whatsoever like, yeah. hit the river with all that momentum and then all of a sudden your momentum is just gone as you're like well, dragging you just, your body you through the water run across the water guys i don't <laughs> see the is. problem you're, you're so just, excited to yeah get into you combat. just literally just, run across the water yeah <laughs> i don't see i don't see the issue maybe a fleet-footed <laughs> goblin yeah an elf i guess not a not a big chunky chaos dwarf <laughs> um any any unit that's at least partially in a river can never be steadfast, and you and you cannot claim a rank bonus. So it's not like the forest where it's the majority of the models; it's even partially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which is just brutal. It's just and death l- to big ranked up units. Yeah. Well, and yeah. losing yeah. rank bonus too. You yeah. lose it rank bonus big. and you're not steadfast. You lose rank bonus and steadfast, and at least you're going to be there for three turns <laughs> as well. So. Yeah. Well, I wonder why they did that. Was it to kind of, you know, force home that message of, you know, bridges and fords are really important. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think it was, um, yeah, it's meant to really disrupt those fast moving armies, I think. Yeah. Well, fast moving armies don't have as much of a problem. Like, yeah, they can charge I just have to spend, you know, one turn with a movement eight getting across that river. Yeah. And then my game is unaffected. Yeah, for sure. And because it's not even dangerous terrain for them, so they can charge across it with impunity. Um, I think it actually, it really just brutalizes those big infantry blocks. Yeah, dwarfs in particular, man. Three-inch move, like if you Mm -hmm. have, you know, five ranks or something and you're trying to get across a river. Yeah. Do you know, actually, now I think about it, what would be really neat is if infantry were, were still able to march across it. But the cavalry were not. That would be cool. That would be, you know, at mm-hmm. least somewhat of an equalizer. And you think about, you know, the cavalry trying to get across a river. Maybe it makes sense. I don't know. Is no, there a spe- does it? Is there a specific in the rule book? Does it specifically tell you how many fords or bridges or crossing points you're supposed uh, to have? Is no. It, let's see. Guideline? Most rivers have at least one place where they can be crossed, such as a bridge or a ford. Such crossing points should not be treated as open terrain. But only if the unit attempting to use the crossing point is in a narrow enough formation to fit across. Otherwise, treat the entire unit as being in the river. Yeah. So they they say that you can have that, but that they don't nominate or say that you specifically have to. But to your point, Aiden, I'm going to say that from my real world world experience, because I grew up with ranchers and we used to ride horses all the time. We would ride horses full tilt down rocky roads, rocky open ground whatever the only time we would slow down is when we got to rivers because the horses can't see and the horses would have to go by feel and so you'd have to slow down because if they can't see where they're stepping then that's a big problem for them so they would we would always slow them way down walk through the water and this is like this is new mexico water which is a stream that's maybe 10 feet across and six inches deep at most and we would still have to slow down and walk them through that because it's just they can't the horses once they can't see it it becomes a real issue Hazard, so that yeah. would make sense yeah and i mean like like you're saying tom we we would just walk right through that stream no problem right. yeah mm-hmm. but the horses they have problems seeing into the water like that huh. so yeah interesting yeah so that right. would be a All good right. so there's the dynamic <laughs> you do Okay. So we're just rewriting the the, the rules tonight. Let's just do because that. Because then it would be cool, you know, yeah. like especially with fast cap the way it is now, there does need to be something to slow down those armies. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, dealing with a river um, is, to me, what, what I try to do is um, march right up to it and then charge out of yeah. it. Uh, Either charge all the way across it yeah. or let them charge you and be disrupted. Yes, yeah. one of the two. Yeah. And there's pretty much no other way. You can, or, you know, try and avoid going that part of the board if mm-hmm. if that's at all feasible, mm-hmm. but it's not always. Now, the thing that I'm going to say is we, I don't see rivers ever. Like, I I use them at my tournaments. Black Sheep Brawl had them. Mm-hmm. They did, but I didn't play on any of those I did. tables. Against you know, Beasley. So, yeah. I'm still bitter. You can also, with, you know, <laughs> if you have the cav, you can use your... If it's depending on where the river is, you can use your yeah. vanguard to get across it. Yeah, you know, that's true. That's not affected. Yeah, mm. and scouts, obviously, vanguard. you know. Vanguard. Yeah. 
Yeah. Broken Vanguard. So anyway. some sometimes, um, and what's interesting is the river rules apply to water features as well. Yep. Um, but what we find most people using water feature terrain that they've got, they use it as a marshland rather than as mm-hmm. a river because it maybe just kind of makes more sense in people's minds. Um, so the marshland, the the tricky part is for for anything with four legs, right? Cavalry monsters, cavalry chariots. Um, the DTs failed on a one or a two, and it's dangerous terrain for everything except skirmishers. So you want to march that infantry unit across the marsh. Um, and I, I did it with a unit of uh, 39 clan rats, and it's like, okay, I'm rolling 39 dice, and I'm losing, you know, I'm expecting to lose six or seven of them. It's pretty funny, actually, I lost one. <laughs> but but um, I didn't expect that. I expected to lose two ranks, you know. Um so yeah, they are Marsh is fantastic defensive terrain for mm-hmm. for exactly that reason. Right? Yeah. It's like what was what was true about the forest is even more true mm-hmm. about the marshland. It's like all of a sudden, uh, you know, those those heavy cavalry with their one up armor saves do not want to charge your unit that's standing in the marshland. Mm-hmm. Um or the other side of the marshland, you know, whatever you, you need to do there. But that's the that's the only thing you know that's the only special rule for it. You can march through it, you can charge across it, um, and maybe that's why people use the like the ponds as marshes rather than rivers. Simple. It's simple, yeah. Lose some dudes. That's it. So it doesn't disrupt anything. Any yeah, rank, and so. they're no. so great for protecting a flank. Like if you can, you know, or yeah, I mean, if you can force people to charge you in the front. Yep. And land in the marsh. That's great, but. Um, that's you know usually not an option, but just getting your unit right up next to it, it just can hold a whole flank for you because people just can't get in there and really break you yeah. as easily. So yeah, yeah they they're uh, they're a little bit uh, wary of charging across it, mm-hmm. a little bit more wary. Um, the neat thing is that it's not dangerous terrain to skirmishers, um, so you can also just you know plop your skirmishers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this th- having a marshland is of course exactly what you want to do when you have lizard men it's like okay yeah i'll just put my skink skirmishes in there and they're aquatic and you know so they get you know minus two to shoot at them and they're yeah they're quite happy to just hang out there um but uh you know for the rest of us it's as you say it's a great flank protection for us mere mortals yeah okay obstacles obstacles all right so I know to my detriment that charging over an obstacle if you're a chariot um, is a dangerous thing to ask. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so here's the here's another when, thing. When did you learn that? And I learned with that. Uh, no, this was with the screaming bell against oh, Riley. Oh, no. So what I didn't know at the time and what I know now, and I'm going to share it with all of our listeners so that they know, if your chariot takes a dangerous terrain test and fails... It takes six uh, D6, D6 wounds, wounds. but D6 it's D6. D6. Yep, it's D6 wounds, um, but um, you make any ward save that you have for each wound. It is not multiple wounds, D6. Oh. It's D6 wounds. Huh. Right? Yep. So yeah, that's how it works. And that's how it works. So when you've got a four up like you do on a Screaming Bell... 
You take six wounds, you're likely to save three of them yeah. and not die. Instead and of one ward save. Failing one ward save and right. losing your bell on turn one, which is what happened to me. <laughs> not but bitter, I'm not bitter. Not, not bitter about not, that not one. Bitter. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened to me. Uh, yeah. God. No. Um, so, um, so there's that. Yeah, so um, I like obstacles. I like the way they they look on the table, um, but they yeah. Other than really negatively affecting chariots and tripping giants and cannonballs, they block and, cannonballs and blo- blocking a cannonball once because once the cannonball hits it once, it removes it. But then you just yeah. move behind a little a different section of fence. Yeah. yeah. Um. So they they don't really have that big of a an effect on the game really like the the combat thing where what is it it's minus one to hit typically it's minus one and if you are defending an obstacle mm-hmm. um whenever you're charged it's only on the turn that you get charged only on the turn you get charged that other unit is minus one to hit you mm-hmm. um and the downside is that they only need to charge to the wall not to your unit right. so that you're basically giving them an extra inch in the charge range um i think it's pretty good whenever you are i mean it counts as hard cover so if you're yep. being shot at you know you can go hide behind that wall um i just think it should count as uh extra armor too <laughs> any way to try and get some armor i know right i'll take <laughs> anything I can get. yeah um but yeah like I, like i said i feel like they they affect the game so little and they, they it just seems like in, in a game where you're trying to poke somebody with a sharp stick, getting behind a wall seems like a really big advantage, and you don't really get that sense. And, um, but, you know, they, I know that I've won combat simply because I, you know, had that minus yeah, one I find to hit. Them to be pretty, I think they have a, a pretty decent sized effect on the game. I yeah, yeah, I, I actually like really a, like obstacles. Yeah, I wish they would stop impact unit. hits too i wish they would kind of stop impact hits yeah mm. yeah i mean that or that... divide them amongst the thing that hits you i mean for a shooting so... unit to be you know just be able to hang out by an obstacle all game and have you know the units you're most scared of like you know fast stuff cavalry to have them take a dangerous terrain test and then be at minus one to hit you that's pretty mm. good is yeah really nice yeah absolutely i mean um that's I definitely have done that multiple times where I've deliberately moved to go and man the barricade um because I'm expecting to receive a charge from from cavalry mm-hmm. um and you know it doesn't it doesn't always necessarily help but it certainly i I feel like it it reduces the the casualties that I take in that first in that first round for sure um so i I like them a lot I like that they you know they have a little bit of an effect. Um, you can march right over them and not care as long as you're infantry, you know, um, or a monster or whatever else. And they only tend to affect cavalry. And I like things that, that mess with cavalry because I think they're, you know, I don't like, I don't like heavy cavalry, um, or cavalry, heavy army list. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think there's any particular tricks though with an obstacle. No, I mean, it, it's going to depend on how they were set up on the table, really. Yeah. I mean, if you can get a good unit behind there um, and you're fine just sitting back and waiting, 
the net's going to serve you well. But, um, yeah, in general, uh, like I said, I don't feel like they really affect the game that much. Yep. Not like a forest does where you have, you know, a t- 10, 12-inch area that's just kind of... <clears throat> well, maybe really it comes aff- back to the same thing of people tend to put forests kind of close to a t- uh, the walls close to a table edge, but maybe you need a big wall right across the middle of the table for it to start... <laughs> Yeah. messing with things a yeah. little more yeah um i've s- seen some really weird things happen whenever you have like like two walls that are eight inches apart and maybe at a 45 degree angle mm-hmm. but right in the middle of the battlefield now all of a sudden you know it it, it can really change how people set up their armies right what if around. you were fighting over a kind of english countryside field landscape where you have little walls separating yep. all these you know you could end up with yeah, most of the table kind of crisscrossed with walls. That'd be, I mean, I think it would make for Pretty a sweet. fascinating game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll set it up at the next sparkle party. Make go. everybody yeah. mad again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next in the list is um, monuments and buildings. But I think um, rather than, I mean, monuments are are really only impassable terrain that's got some mystical properties. Yeah. So yeah, they're just. The mysterious terrain. And, and they're the ones, these are the ones that we were talking about earlier that often would win the game on the on their own. Yeah. Um, they're fun to play with uh, every now and then, but in general... Agreed. Make sure you and your opponent both want to use it because you could end up... Conceptual obstacles only. Yeah, you could end up with one that just kind of really makes it an unpleasant game for one person or for both people and it's just not worth it. I mean, you don't you didn't come to play against the table. You came to play against your buddy. Yeah. And um it feels weird when the table beats you. <laughs> yeah, so. for sure. Um and buildings I don't really want to talk about because th- their rules are so complicated that Yeah, that's no, a whole episode. No, <laughs> no matter how many times I play with them, I I still sometimes misremember bits and pieces. Oh yeah. Yeah, every time I have to look stuff up. Yeah. Every so, tournament people are like, "How do we do this? Uh let's uh-huh. double check." <laughs> um but let's just talk a little bit about impassable terrain. Um mm-hmm. so so you're talking about how you can use the marshland to protect a flank. I mean, that's the the obvious use for impassable terrain as well yeah. is um, I, I'm setting things up so that I can't be charged on the flank. Yeah. Um, or I'm facing my, like the, my opponent has this big unit that wants to charge me. Um, so I change my facing such that it has to charge me in the front. And, but there's no room for it to land in the front and therefore it can't charge me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's another tactic I've, I've, seen used pretty effectively mm-hmm. um around impassable stuff any other stuff that you guys have seen um i know it kills fanatics which i find <laughs> highly annoying uh yeah i think the most you know the the most obvious thing is um, most people uh like large large masses of impassable train just for cannonball denial mm-hmm. um and uh, for the most part, they if it's really cool looking terrain, that's great. Um, I don't like it when uh, there's huge, huge chunks of impassable terrain. It it kind of takes whole parts of the table out of play, but sometimes that can be fun too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I mean, it's just you 
it's an area you can't go. So there's yeah, the one inch rule I think messes people up a little bit as well. Yeah, I don't really I don't think like one it. One inch rule should be should apply to terrain at all. No, that, I, and that's what I usually do at Sparkle Party. I say if it's gray, you can't go on it, but literally on it, but you can be within an inch of it because it's just so weird, you know. I actually think the one inch rule is kind of negated by the fact that you know almost everybody has movement trays for their mm-hmm. for their units. It's true. You know, the whole point I of the one inch rule. Like, What's a it? Of an inch in the no, middle. I know, but the whole point of the one inch rule was so you could tell units apart. Oh, right. And so it's like, well, I can tell them apart because they're on a different movement tray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a natural gap there. Yeah. Or, you know, and I yeah. have it written down on a piece of paper. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I get the one inch rule, but I also think it's just silly. Yeah. So. I very rarely ever, and, you know, I enforce it with my opponent or anything like yeah. that. Only if somebody is like trying to redirect you or something and gets up really close up in your face. Yep, that's like, about the only time. But that's mainly just a psychological thing, anyway. It doesn't <laughs> affect the game. You just like to be able to tell them to step step off. back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Step back, step back. Well, there's another thing that you can do with the impassable terrain. Um, let's say, for example, you have your you know your juicy uh, wizard bunker um, back from the impassable terrain. You have, you know, a strong uh, anvil unit um, uh, in front of them. And there's a gap between that anvil unit and the impassable terrain. Um, you can you can look at your opponent's charging unit and go, okay, well, they're six inches across. So all I have to do is make sure that that gap between the impassable terrain and my anvil unit is less than six inches. And they can't charge through and hit my, you know, juicy mage bunker at the back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, so impassable, when you flee through it, you're assumed to kind of go around the sides yep. and escape around the other side, but the pursuer can't go through it, yep. yeah. right? So it's a way of also, you know, pushing something right up into the face of a Death Star or whatever, oh, yeah. getting off some shots and then being able to scarper yep. in a flea move. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, you can use it to block a charge pretty pretty effectively right yep and you can also use it um to block an overrun um so for example if you've got uh, frenzied troops um you know you can you can (laughs) here go stare at a wall for a few minutes guys yep you you can do that but you can you can also uh you know set up your charge such that your overrun um only takes you into the impassable terrain so you maybe only overrun a couple of inches Mm -hmm. as opposed to you know, the 12 inches that you, or 10 inches that you might have otherwise overrun. Um, okay, cool. Um, so we, we kind of talked about setting up, setting up the terrain. Um, we talked about the different types and, and some of the um, things that we like and dislike and use with those terrain pieces. Is there anything, anything else we want to talk about on the terrain side? Um, uh, no. I, I love those cogent thoughts there. I, I, I would I would say just use the terrain that um you guys feel just feels fun. Pretty. Yeah. yeah. And make it look pretty. Yep. Um but Yeah, you can build terrain very cheaply and, and easily and mm-hmm. we will we will probably talk about that real soon. Alright. The so we kind of faked you out with uh, any kind of any kind of um, hobby horse section in this one, 
part of the reason is that uh, Jesse really wanted to be here to talk about terrain. Um, I think because he dropped a whole pile of money on uh, on tabletop tabletop world, world tabletop stuff, which ooh belated news and rumors they yeah. put put up a new bridge, epic bridge. It's a Anyways. really cool bridge. Yeah, yeah. We'll oh, let Jesse check talk that about out. It. Yeah. Um, so we will, we will forego our hobby horse in this section and sorry, in this episode and, um, we'll bring it back next episode and I'm going to force Tom to come back in two weeks time. So two weeks. Yeah. Yep. That's all the break time you get, dude. I'm going to force you into hobby. Oh, (laughs) I'm even here. Uh, yeah <laughs> i'm a busy man i've got places to go you know? yeah people to see um, whatever so uh you can you can connect with us on our forums and um, please leave us a review on itunes um we also have a facebook page you can follow us on and on twitter um at cascade podcast for me and at ricky underscore fisher for ricky um is that all the social media we have just that just that i think we have like a tinder account or something (laughs) tinder (laughs) account so so we can all go flirting yeah right um yeah so people can swipe us left or right yeah i i yeah don't really understand that that would be an interesting app to develop is uh is a a swipe based app for um opponent finding yeah warhammer? opponent yeah warhammer find yeah yeah could you imagine people could post pictures of their army yeah be, be like, like nah, i don't want to play that don't, don't want to play, play that, that. Ooh, Ooh, i'll play that, that one, yeah. isn't that isn't that how cool mini or not got started is it like <laughs> maybe i think so yeah it was all just voting up or voting down. up or down on whether you thought it was a but cool tinder match. if there was a tinder version it would like show up all the people. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't even have to go onto yeah. forums to find opponents. Yeah. It would just show up all the other Warhammer players that are within a mile of you, show you pictures of their armies. Oh, yeah. Man. Except yeah. there wouldn't be any. It's like within a yeah, mile of true. me, there's, there's no, <laughs> there's no to, Warhammer players. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. just have to broaden your horizons too, you know, mm-hmm. yep. several hundred miles. <laughs> yeah. Get working on it, Aiden. It's the next big thing. No mm. way, man. No way. <laughs> My hobby time is not going to be spent on writing code. That's my day job. Mm. Okay, so um, thanks very much for joining us. And uh, I'm, I'm going to let literally, like I said, torture these guys to make sure we get back within a couple of weeks. So uh, until then, take it easy. Amen. Bye. 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 Bye.